Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. G'day and welcome to this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey, powered by Radix Nutrition. Coming up, Lee Hart. Mental health-wise, no, I think humour helps, definitely. Oh, you, there's that saying, if you don't laugh, you cry. Totally, and and I did cry, you know, and I, my kids even saw me cry, which, uh, you know. Is that the first time? Yeah, I think so. Now, i got to be honest with you, I thought Lee Hart was a household name. You hear the voice, you hear the name, you see the face, you know immediately who he is. Then I told my girlfriend I had him coming up on the podcast, and that conversation went something like this, me listing off some of the work that he's been involved with, and her saying she's never heard of it. The guy from Sports Cafe, no, never heard of it. Moon TV, never heard of it. Late Late Breakfast, never heard of it. The Hell is Sausage Ads, never heard of it. Snacker Changi Salt and Vinegar Chips, never heard of them. So... If, like my girlfriend, none of that work rings any bells, I'm sure his face will if you Google him. Lee Hart. But truth be told, whether you know him or not, I think you'll be a fan of his after hearing this podcast. It's a fascinating insight into the mind of a creative genius. We get real deep and talk about his childhood, which included an entire year without seeing his parents. We talk his entire TV career and which of his old work makes him cringe now. And then how the famous Snacky Chingy Chips came about. Lee also reflects on his marriage breakup and the resilience required to get through it and how he has become far more emotionally vulnerable with age. I've known Lee in passing for years, but this is the first conversation like this that we've had together and I thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope you do too. Thanks very much to my friends at Radix Nutrition for sponsoring this episode. I am a daily user of their protein powder. I start every day with a shake for breakfast, a scoop of their banana powder, some ice cubes, some milk, and I throw an actual banana in for good measure, and I find it incredible. The coconut flavor is amazing as well. But Radix Nutrition are so much more than amazing and delicious protein powder, though. And I urge you to go to radix.co.nz, that's R-A-D-I-X, to see their whole incredible range of world-class products made in the Waikato and shipped to wherever you are on earth. But let's get into the episode. I'm so excited to share this one with you guys. Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Lee Hart. Hey, Runners Only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is Runners Only, yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harley. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Uh, just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harley. Runners Only with Dom Harvey and New Zealand television royalty Lee Hart. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. <laughs> great to be here. Great to be on, on you know, Runners Only. You know, that's what I do. <laughs> I've heard. Um, where, did the, where did the G'day, mate thing come from? What's um? Yeah. What's the backstory with G'day well, Mate? Basically, it was from my radio days with Jason Hoyt, right? Uh, oh, is this the afternoon show? Yeah, the Bougie Bougie radio show. on. Yeah, so, yeah. but where it actually came from, um, my father, who lives in Christchurch now, but he's from the West Coast in South Island originally, him and his best mate, who, who died last year, actually, um, that was quite funny. Whenever 
one of them would walk into the room or they saw each other, they would always go, G'day, mate! You know, <laughs> like with a high up inflection. Yeah, totally. And I was going, it's weird. So it was just sort of with me the whole time. So then on radio, um, Jason would normally introduce the show just like that. And I'd go, G'day, mate! You know, it just sort of resonated. So mm. I think my father was probably watching that, listening to that, and going, He's ripped me off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's become like a catchphrase. Oh, that's, people yeah, are- yeah. And and, uh, yeah. and and the the, the so I, I was out on a coffee date earlier today with um with this um young kid that does a podcast. He's twenty years old, and I told him that I was t- I was ha- have had you in this afternoon. He he was excited. He was like, "So I'll say good day, mate from yeah, from me. Yeah, who who right. is your fan base? Um, well, that's a really good question. Who knows? Um, varied, I suppose. Who knows? It's people. You know, a lot of people are familiar with sort of the early Moon TV type stuff. I remember coming on, on your show and talking about that when we had a show out, that kind of thing. A lot of those people have grown up now, so they're in their oh. 30s and 40s kind of thing. They were, you know, young then. That's how long ago it was. But then you've got a new, the, the radio people, um, the ACC people. But then you've got, like, you know, I suppose people that know me from, like, the hell stuff. You know, I can't they say that hasn't had a, some sort of effect Impact. on people. So, yeah, you know, sure. household shoppers, mums, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but does, does it surprise you when when youngish sort of people like um you know guys in their like late teens early twenties are massive fans? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. It, it's it's weird, um, but I think that's the sort of the content's always been quite irreverent and sort of you know anarchic kind of stuff. So it resonates with younger with younger people, immature people. I think they probably see me as obviously an adult, but probably. Rightly or wrongly, an immature kind of one. So, you know, <laughs> one that they can so relate smoke to. And mirrors, I think. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I like that. I like that. So rather than like a demograph, it's more like a psychograph. It's a certain yeah, type. Yeah, I, I think so. But the people go, oh yeah, he'd be, he'd be a laugh to have a beer with. Whatever, I might be a real pain in the ass. You know. Yeah. But, you know. But I think to a degree, you you probably end up playing up to that persona a little bit. You know, I don't know where it starts and finishes, but you probably mm. end up filling in the gaps for people. And you know, mm. fuck, that's got to be. Um, that's got to be a lot of pressure when you're out in public. I'm ge- you're in you're in your early fifties now, so I'm guessing you're yeah. not going to bars or clubs all that often. Oh, <laughs> sorry, how no, presumptuous right. of me. No, but, you're, but, you're dead right. But I was last night. Oh yeah, <laughs> because but, I is went, it a, is it a nightmare for you being around drunk people? No. So I went to a concert last night. Um, Hudaguri's in Power Station. Right, so it was good right. actually. So it was a good night for Thursday. But obviously we thought, oh, we'll go to a, a few bars afterwards. You know, and finish the night off, which is pretty rare. You're right. I'm living just down the road from Holot, but I don't tend to. I prefer to be at home with a few mates. Mm. Um, but no, you get a lot of people sort of come up, and you know the photo thing. You, you know what that's about, and it's fine actually because people are pretty <sighs> nice to you. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's yeah. no, there's no one. You know. Oh, dickhead! You dropped the ball. Lost us that test. You know, <laughs> what can they say? I mean, yeah. they didn't like the gag or the yeah. joke. You know, that's pretty. You know, yeah, I'm a vegetarian. I hate yeah. sausages. <laughs> exactly. What are they going to do? You know, um, it's pretty frivolous stuff. So that, you know, that's all, and it's pretty well-meaning. And it, no, it's not really. I was thinking about this the other day. People go, oh, "Do you get sick of it?" People coming up. No, I quite like it. You know, not in an egotistical way, but I quite like that it's you're connecting. Because what other way do you have of knowing that? You know, mm. it's not like you've got Nielsen data to go. You know, it's it's, it's probably more when people stop doing that, you'd be more. Concerned, that's, the, that's the concern. You know? Yeah, and I suppose in a way, um, I was on someone else's podcast, and I was saying this. I was, I was saying, say you, you're Mike McRoberts, I guess, or yeah. Dr. Chris Warner, and you're out in public. Yeah. People don't actually 
like you for who you are. They like you because you're on TV and they recognise yeah. you. But I suppose if someone comes up to you, the, the, you've made that connection with them and it's a reflection of the fucking hard work you've done over many years. Yeah, and I think so. You're right. They're, they're an actor playing a part or a news journalist doing, doing a role. Whereas I think even if I'm doing the, the, the comedy stuff, the radio stuff, um, whatever it is, I think... I hope um, I could be a little bit presumptuous here, but I think they can see that the real person and the so-called characters are fairly close. You know, they're not too different, and I'm not going off and like you know, um, totally acting a totally different role. It's just an exaggerated version <laughs> of who I am. So I think, in some kind of way, people relate to it because they yeah. think, oh, that's probably exactly what he's like. And hopefully, I'm not exactly like that, but. They're right. It, it is You're like, like an exaggerated version of yourself. Totally an exaggerated yeah. version. That's all. That's all it is, and that's why it's easy to do. I mean, a show like Late Night Big Breakfast, where you're playing a buffoonish reporter, really, who's you know really asking ridiculous, stupid questions of the prime minister and stuff. But that's <laughs> the sort of questions you sit watching news, going, "Why wouldn't it be funny if you did?" You know, that's yeah. that's what all you're doing really is exaggerating it, um, and the jokes. Normally on me, that's the idea. I've always tried to take that approach. Another another reason people might sort of relate to, as opposed to someone who's going at people and trying to expose them and, mm. and, and oh, you said this, you know. Really, I'm just trying to get give everyone a laugh, entertainment, and yeah, uh, uh, and lighthearted and dry and whatever. But you know, I've mm. never thought too much about the process or should we got to do more of this or mm. what would be funny. It's just it's just yourself, but a bit more exaggerated. Yeah, I've got mates that I think are funnier than me, kind of thing. But they just can't really pull it off mm. in, in any other, you know, in a sort of professional sort of way, I suppose. But you're inspired by them. Yeah, know. yeah. Okay, so um, we went straight into. There's so much to chat about with you. Like you're such a fascinating, intriguing, and in some ways mysterious guy. So I'm not talking about my running now. <laughs> no, can, well, can, can we talk about that? What is your relationship with running? I hate it. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm probably the first person. So I went to boarding school. Yeah. Let's just get it out now. So yeah, yeah. the people that are in the running. No, well, this is the thing with the podcast. I, I say. Everyone in New Zealand has got some relationship or connection with running, even if it's being triggered by the, doing the school cross-country. Well, was that? So I went to a boarding school in Christchurch from a kind of young age, and it was fairly full-on. We had to run at 6 in the morning every morning, you know, around the block. And you were going to go one or the other. Some people love that, and they probably got an addiction to it then, or you know. And it went the other way with me. Then I went to high school. It was even worse because we had quite a – this is Christ College and Christchurch – it was pretty archaic back then, pretty full on. Um, and sports stuff would come up. Our house or whatever was very competitive, so the seniors would make us run around Hagley Park at like 6 in the morning or at <laughs> 9 at night with a blue horn, and they're on, they're on a bike, and you've got to run from the back to the front, back to the front, Indian file or whatever, until we were chundering. We were literally, had, until we were spewing up. To try, it was just ridiculous. Like a form of bullying, a sanctioned yeah, bullying. So, oh, oh, totally. Every, every I, I've said this before, every day of that school back then, would be on Seven Sharp. Uh, whole, oh, now, whole, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone would film, you know, put it on TikTok uh, and... You know, they'd almost have a section of it every day. And, <laughs> so for me, that's... But a lot of my mates, they, they ran and they still run and it didn't do that to them. But for me, Bill, I went to go to church, chapel every day. 
an hour I hate going to church, if you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah. I think well, I, was, I was just had too much of it. And it didn't come that naturally to me. I'd rather, I'd rather swim for an hour than run for an hour. Would you? Yeah, yeah, I quite like swimming. Yeah, yeah well, I, I, like I, the reason I run is for the, the mental health benefits. So yeah. Like I find it amazing. But I, I mean, I, I say to anyone, for me it's running, but I, yeah. I'm not trying to ram running down anyone's oh, throat. No, totally. like, what is that swimming exercise, for you? Exercise, really. Yeah. Well, well, I don't do a lot of swimming now, um, but I do boxing and, and go to the gym, basically. So boxing for me, I really like as an aerobic type of thing. Um, and anything, yeah. Um, I'm walking. Do you walk quite a bit? Yeah, I love yeah. walking. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I actually was asked the other day whether I wanted to do uh, go up Mount Kilimanjaro, you know. And, and oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, oh, God, really? Shit, really? But it's, it's not a bucket list thing for me or anything, but the fact that someone mentioned it had me thinking. I Googled it. Uh, sounds pretty full on, about 18,000 feet, um, you know. So it doesn't matter how fit you are, you don't know how you're going to react to the, the altitude. Mm. And you can be really fit. Um, but you still may just freak out because, you know, um, and I know what that's kind of like. I used to live at 13,000 feet in Peru for about five years when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, I, I know. Yeah, so so let, let's, let's go back there. So we'll, we'll try and do this in some sort of sequ- sequential order. So, so you're born <laughs> at. <Good> luck. <laughs> so you're born, you're born in Greymouth. Mm-hmm. 52 years ago. and uh, 50. I mean, with, with COVID, COVID's in there, so I, I, I never had a 50th. Okay. So, and you moved to Peru at what age? Yeah, so I left um, the, left New Zealand when I was about one and went to Hong Kong for okay. a couple of years. Why? Dad's job? Yeah, dad, he was, a net, he was a coal miner and he sort of converted that into a tunneler, which, you know, similar sort of thing, but, you know, he's building hydro schemes and irrigation projects, this kind of stuff. So pretty full-on stuff. So I think Hong Kong was a, probably a hydro scheme or something. And then Australia, I started school in Melbourne when I was five for a couple of years. Um, and then we went to Peru. And that was the top of the Andes, the middle of nowhere, four hours drive, dusty road to the nearest civilization. So literally Inca villages all around us and stuff. Uh, the Condor Canyon, a lot of people might have been up there on, on a tourism thing now. There were no roads up there. Then the dad's company had to build the roads. And that was 13, 13 and a half thousand feet up. And we were just living up wow. there with 15 other expat sort of kids, you know, from England, Canada, Sweden, and just in a little school. And I loved it. I've got better memories of that time, you know, more clearer memories than, you know, any other part of my life, you know. Really? Um, certainly more than my 20s. Really? But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the same for most of So you're in, you're in Peru for how many years? Yeah, I was there for about, oh, about five years. Right, and then? Then we got sent back to boarding school. Parents stayed there for a couple of years, but we would travel back and forth. Who's, who's we? Oh, my brother, older oh, brother. Yeah, he was yeah. about two years older. Oh, boarding school in New Zealand? Yeah. So you're in New Zealand at boarding oh, school, yeah. and your parents are in South America? I was about 11-year-old. They dropped us back, and um, I remember mum dropped us at the school, and I didn't see them for a year. Then you know, at the age of eleven, yeah, I didn't see my parents for a whole year. And this is a you and I are a similar age. That's a time where a toll call um, was oh. like a thousand dollars a minute. Oh, it was a big deal. So, yes, <laughs> so your letter maybe, writing, maybe, yeah, all letter writing, no email, no, no, no FaceTime, oh. yeah, and even phone call for him it had to be done from his office. You know, and, you know, a fax maybe would come through to the school <laughs> if it was something important. But no, there's no communication other than letter writing. And I remember they came back a couple of weeks earlier than I thought they were going to. I had a thing on the 
on the wall. If you actually forgot how what they look like, you know that sort of. You know, <laughs> it's that long. And us well, t- you, off the days. You well, know. you think you're 11 years old, so a whole year is like 10 percent of your life. Yeah, and it could have gone one way or the other. I mean, if we didn't, if my brother and I reacted badly to the whole thing, is oh, you know, and got all sort of homesick, and you know, eventually they'd just have to go. Shit, this isn't working, and he'd have to give up his job, I suppose. Mm. And come, so we said, there's a lot of pressure on us to make it work, and we're both. I think we got on with it. I'm not sort of trying to say we sort of toughened up or anything, but uh, it's certainly, and that that carried on for the next four, you know, through high school as well. But they moved from there to Indonesia, then Malaysia and Sri Lanka, and we would travel every school holidays to somewhere Indonesia or Malaysia, the middle of nowhere, um, in the jungle. So it was really weird upbringing that way. So I never really felt like uh, I always felt like an outsider in New Zealand. It's weird that people and say that. You, so. you didn't like have a home or a well, base? Just that or? I was playing catch-up rugby, literally, in the sense I didn't know what rugby was till I came back at 10 years. Everyone else grew up with it. Cricket, that's why I'm shit at it now, because I <laughs> took it up so late, you know. But everyone else doing this, so I always felt like an outsider. We had a weird accent, you know, from all the other yeah, kids yeah. we hung out with. Um, and especially when we went back, of course, to school holidays, you know, people trying to work out where these guys are actually from, where they, you know. Um, and it was only in later years... Um, post school, really, that I started to even feel like I was a sort of a Kiwi kind of thing, and it's mm. kind of weird because a lot of um, blokes out there, I suppose, you're young, sort of probably associate me with this, oh, the Kiwi guy kind of thing, you know, barbecue. Completely, sport. yeah, yeah. But when and I sort of something I've sort of adapted, but originally, certainly, I didn't have that upbringing that people would probably think I did. Like growing up on the West Coast, for ten, I didn't. I left when I was one. Yeah, yeah, I still, yeah. I still. I still reference it, and we had it was a spiritual home. The grandparents and stuff were there. I used to go back all the time and visit it, and it feels like I, f- I feel like I came from there because my parents both were, and you, I suppose you're the product of your parents. But no, I certainly didn't really mm. live there. You know. So, so that, that, so that year, I'm a fraud. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done it very, very well. <laughs> um, so that, that year, so you were 11 years old, and you, you didn't see your parents all year, not even school holidays. What did you do in the school holidays? Yeah, that we, we'd have to go. Well, we'd go to the west coast, jump on, on the train by ourselves, stay with my grandparents yeah, yeah. on this little shitty little in Renanga, this little house, and grandma was just in a wheelchair. Granddad was chucking coal in the fire day, didn't really talk to us. Brother and, I, <laughs> brother and I would just wander around and throw stones on the on the railway tracks. Didn't really, and, t- well, didn't really talk to you, like just just that well, sort of no, yeah, well, he's, strong, you know, silent. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, he, he had eight kids, including my father, you know, and they just they were different ages. They just got raised by each other, kind of thing. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. not like nowadays how we model coddle our, our kids. And so, grandfather certainly not going to run around and you know, he, you know, he would talk to us if we talked to him. But, <laughs> There's this place called Shantytown just out of Greymouth, which is about 30k from where we were living. But my grandparents, and we said, hey, granddad, can we go to Shantytown? He goes, yeah, there, there's a bike in the, in the <laughs> bike in the garage, son. And it's, we, my brother and I had to get on the same bike and bike there. We biked, you know, it took about four hours to get there. And we got there and it was shut. It was closed. <laughs> it was closed for renovations. Bike back again. And, and that, all would all stay. I had an aunt and uncle in Christchurch, might stay there. All would go to friends' places. Yeah. Friends, farm, this kind of stuff, which I always... I think that's something that's car- I've carried on. I'm, I'm quite a homebody now. I don't like staying in other people's houses much anymore. And I'm wondering, I've just thought of it now, whether it was because of that. I, I never liked, I never felt comfortable staying at another 
but like getting billeted with a family mm. you don't really know, and yeah. you're sort of on your best behaviour, and you're not you're not you're not you're not feeling totally comfortable until you know those people really really well. You yeah. know, and always felt we were a burden on this family that <laughs> felt sorry for us because we didn't have any parents, so they they took us and you know I might start crying in a minute. Did you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, did, did you? Did you cry a lot that that year? No, I don't think of it. How, how your brother's older than you? Yeah, he's about eighteen months older, so that oh, yeah. made it easier in a way. Yeah. But, uh, but he had no one to look up to or support. No, that, that's right. So, And he went to high school before I did, so he sort of paved the way, so it was slightly easier. But having said that, we were both in trouble a little bit here and there, not for bad stuff, but just, you know, boy sort of stuff. But I actually do remember when he left the, 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 the first school we went to and went on to high school and left me alone there, I was actually quite relieved because I didn't have to worry about him anymore. You know, if, mm. which is weird sort of thing to say. But really? Yeah, how do you mean? What do you mean? Well, I, I, he, I would have thought he would take on the protector role. Well, he sort of did, but what I mean is, I, I knew I could sort of handle myself in the sense that if I got in trouble, I got in trouble. If he was, if he got in trouble with school, I, I wouldn't have to know about it, you know what I mean? Um, mm. And the same sort of thing happened when we went to Christ College. So the first thing he said, just all you're told, if you get thrown down the stairs in a suitcase, just roll with it. You know, that you just don't fight back, you know, because they'll come after me, you know? So, you know, so, so you sort of learned, I know it sounds ridiculous now, but you sort of learned just to, it's like going into prison, you know, keep to yourself, don't don't look in anyone in the eye. You know, so, you know, don't tell them what you're in for. Yes, you, just, just, you know, back to the wall, you know, and... Uh, it's a bit like that. So, no, no, it, it, was, no, it was certainly helpful having an older brother, I think. Um, yeah, I would have been more worried if I had a younger brother, for sure, that mm. I was having to look after. So, yeah, never thought mm. about that. He was probably, you know, relieved when do, I... Do you, do you look back now with any sort of, like, like resentment at all towards your parents no, or no? Not no? at all. And mum, though, she's, we, 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 we wired her up. Um, sometimes she's got guilt about it. I sometimes think, well, I dropped you up and we said, oh, well, mum, you know, you abandoned us. What else are we going to, you know? And she, starts, she gets really upset about it, but we can only say that because, no, honestly, it was the best thing that happened to us, I think, in a way. Um, yeah. I think because, I, well, there's no choice in a way. Um, yeah. we, there was no future in education. The school I was in Peru, I was this 15-year-old, a 10-year-old, you know, those sort of like little country school kind okay. of thing. Yeah, nowhere yeah. we had to get educated at some point, and that obscure upbringing you can't you couldn't you couldn't script it you couldn't pay for that and expect you know it was just so random I think a lot of those experiences hopefully have probably shaped other stuff I've done later on risks I've mm. sort of taken I suppose to think shit well this you know if we could get through that you can you know do anything sort of thing or um, I, when I said earlier I felt different which sometimes felt like a negative thing it could also have been a positive thing I think I felt different so I could do something different yeah. you know I mean I wasn't expected to do the normal things you know whereas if I'd maybe grown up you know the whole New, typical New Zealand thing you know primers you know primary school secondary yeah, school right yeah, through yeah, play yeah, rugby yeah. do all that sort of stuff I just would have been another, <laughs> another I don't know I'm sure that must have affected um, stuff I did. Absolutely, you know? made you th- yeah, maybe it made you re- like you're one of the most resilient people on New Zealand TV, I think. Uh, and in yeah, terms of what you've what you've what you've done, just grafting your way through, I wonder if part of that comes from your childhood. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and it didn't, you know, th- it's all your combined experience, and the school as well. I mean, yeah, it was such a. I mean, I, I was in trouble a lot at the, at the high school. You know, what sort of what sort of trouble are we talking? Well, it was a boarding school, so sneaking out at night, um, you know, not going to church, hiding in the park. Um, I wasn't a smoker, 
but there was people smoking the bike, so they would be getting caned for that. Um, you know, no, I was never into anything. Well, later on, of course, it was drinking, that kind of thing, but there was never anything too sinister. There was no sort of drugs or anything like that. It was more taking the piss, I suppose. You know, it didn't, oh, just being a smart-ass. It was such a structured school. You didn't have to do too much yeah. to be a, a class comedian, you know. Um, well, it sounds a bit like my, I went to Palmerstorff Boys High, so if you walked around with your socks down by yeah. your nomads or your yeah, tricks, yeah. that was detention material. Oh, oh, totally. And then if you get three detentions, they can't give another one, so they can you. Because, you know, so. <laughs> and because you're a boarder, I suppose oh, well, they'll, they'll, they'll be gating you every week, and you'll oh, be like, well, I've got nowhere to go anyway. Yeah, totally <laughs> gated. I was gated for most of my seventh form. Um, again... It could have been so easy to have gone the other way with it and gone, oh, I hate this. And I look back now, and all the I had the caning record for one term, 36 or 40 strokes or something in a term. Well, they, they do like one at a time or two strokes? Well, or you, you, you either get two. You, there's no such thing as one. There was two, three, four, or six. There's no such thing as five. That, seems, bar- that seems barbaric six now. Was Pretty, that's getting borderline rattan type. <laughs> it's like a Balinese jail. <laughs> Not stuff. that I've had the rattan, but, but uh, I'm just guessing that's what it'd be like. But but it, it, once you get into, once you get into trouble and you're on the radar of of these sort of teachers and stuff, and you're on some a short of these guys leash. Are 80, yeah, it's very hard to you know. I, I look back now and going, would have been so much easier to play the you know, and you would never be in trouble and just you could have conned them if you knew what you knew now. You could have yeah. got away with anything, but now you have to you know. We had, of course, um, our boarding house is famous for having Charles Upham, the, the war hero. There, oh, yeah, that, Victoria you know. Cross one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we kind of aspired, oh, he would have done this kind of thing. He would have snuck out and got burgers down in the square. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you can use that mission to justify anything, <laughs> yeah, can't exactly. you? Charles Upham would have done it. Well, that's 50 years ago. You know, look, um, yeah, so I think, um, again, it could have gone one way or the other. You know, I mean, I got suspended. Um, it was for breaking leave and, and drinking or something, but for two weeks, and that was pretty tough because my parents were overseas, um, and I had to go stay at my aunt and uncle's house in Christchurch, you know, and mm. um, I had to explain to them that, you know, uh, yeah. I actually even think about it now, it must have been pretty tough for them, um, missing our sort of, the one minute you know, they'd see us as a 13-year-old or a 12 year next thing they were, we're 15, next minute we're, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. just jumps, you know. Um, and how's your brother? Did he, has he turned out good? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what he heard? No, no, no. no, he's good. No, he's he's up in Auckland now as well. He's uh, living on the shore. He's 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 good. He so we were pretty close in a way. We're not the sort of you know huggy sort of close because he's certainly not like that. But I think we're actually probably a lot closer than a lot of other brothers. But again, because of the bizarre experiences we went through, that only. That only we know. If you, know mm. I mean, you can't. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even our parents don't know in a way exactly how it was. Well, well I think we're a close family because of that. Because um, no, you can't explain it to anyone else how weird it was. But no, but he's good. And I was in a band with him for about three or four years, um, which was good. He, you know, he's definitely my older brother. He's the one that tells me what I'm doing wrong and he, he can, he's handy he can fix stuff and he comes around to my place that I've done he's always checking things out and you're going to leave like that are you or you're going to you know why'd you, why'd you do it that way you know he's very you know what, is, what does he do he's sort of doing uh, web sort of online stuff how do you, explain <laughs> you don't even know online you don't even know crap. it's like me with my, my, my brother and sisters I don't really know what yeah. they do I don't care yeah <laughs> <laughs> You're famous. Yeah. Why should you care? Yeah, no, but he's good. He's uh, he's been a good um, 
Yeah, good yeah. inspiration, I suppose. You know. And where, where are your parents now? Are they still overseas? Or no, they're back in Croatia now. So yeah. they retired um, and, yeah, just out of Christchurch. So. Mm. so they were in the UK. For, your, your dad um, helped build the uh, the English Channel Tunnel? Yeah, so did yeah. I. Yeah. Hey, oh, you did as well? Yeah, so what happened, He his last – in Sri Lanka, uh, one of the later jobs, he lost his leg below the knee. Um, when I was my last year at school, I think, in a tunneling accident, sort of. So that he didn't retire, he kept working for another 10 years or so, but it kind of affected some of the jobs he would do. He wouldn't be going so far out of the jungle and stuff. So he ended up getting a job on the Channel Tunnel, you know, between England and France, of course. And that's such a massive project that, you know, 10,000 sort of guys working on. And he was heading up a whole sort of department, almost the, the, all the outside stuff going in kind of thing. And so because of his leg, he wasn't really allowed in the tunnel. <clears throat> and by this stage, my brother and I were at university, or I was, my first year, I think, and pretty much goofing around, you know, that first year where you... <laughs> what, were you what was your... BA doing something. <laughs> what really was a sort of, look, everyone else is going to university, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll sort it out later, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the first year was certainly a case of, look, I'll get it all out of my system this year and I'll catch up all the points next year. You know, just so. And it was the start of my second year and I, was, I suppose I started to knuckle down and and there were jobs going in the Channel Tunnel, you know, labouring some jobs, which are really, really good money because it's all on a bonus system. So he rang up and said, look, um, and it wasn't really nepotism in a way because you wouldn't be working anywhere near him or anything, but, you know, he got a few contacts, said, okay. So my brother and I both went over and got a job on the Channel Tunnel for about three years. Um, literally wow. working underground, pumping concrete into the into the roof. Shit, that sounds like real hard work. Really full on. And again, that feels like another life. Well, it wasn't that hard. I mean, um, you're sort of young then, and it, but it was, again, we talk about bizarre experiences. There's a ridiculous amount of different shift patterns. So everyone's living in pretty much in the two towns, Dover or Folkestone on the English side. And it was a 24-hour, for about three or four years, it was just 24-hour People would be coming up their shift, you'd be finishing work at three in the morning. And you could be on that shift for two weeks in a row. So you have to go for a beer, of course, after work. So you're at, you're at a bar at three in the morning till six. And then you go to bed at six in the morning and wake up at one in the afternoon, mm. get up, have a shower. You haven't seen daylight yet because you're in the tunnel. Mm. And then, you, you know, and or you could be, so long story short, didn't matter what shift pattern you were, there would be thousands of people literally on the purse eating... 24-7, it's like Las Vegas, there's no daylight. Or, <laughs> no clocks. Yeah, no clocks, and of co- because of that, of course, heaps of women, etc. moved to town, all these guys with heaps of money, so the whole thing turned into a sort of a Yukon gold sort of rush sort of mm. town for two or three years, um, which is incredible, and again, so many characters and stuff there. Imagine all these people who are Irish, um, from Northern England, Wales, Scottish, you know, all the mining sort of parts of the UK working there, and really funny, full-on work hard, sort of play hard, guys. Mm. So again, probably more bad habits end up, you know, it's normal to be drinking at five in the morning, you know, or cracking a beer at six in the morning, because you, you, you did it. Shift. Yeah, yeah, you did yeah. it, you know, but it's not so normal if you do it now. So, you know? <laughs> Unless you're at the airport for some <laughs> yeah, reason. Yeah, the airport. <laughs> I have time, you know. Doesn't matter. Bloody Mary things, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so you, you did one year at university, then you went overseas for yep. three years, but then you came back to New Zealand and finished your degree? No, I never finished it. Oh. Um and I pretty much, we were always, music was always there or thereabouts with us. And I ended up going to Scotland after that when I left the tunnel and played a little duo with a friend of mine, like a band. Was that Wild Turkey? No. Yeah, it was the start of Wild Turkey. Right. It, was the, it was the, you know. So Matt and I just, I got a guitar and stuff and we almost, 
in pubs, but sort of bust our way for a, uh, a few months, thinking, shit, this is really good here. If we had a half-decent band, we could come back here and do something good. So we went back to New Zealand, hooked up with my brother, started a band. We're pretty rough and ready, sort of three-chord rock and roll sort of band, but we had something about us. Um, probably a lack of knowledge of how bad we were was probably our skill. <laughs> well, that was probably our biggest skill, you know. <laughs> and, uh, ignorance. Yeah, ignorance yeah. and big egos. Uh, <laughs> ego is bigger than our talent. And so much so, we thought, sure, this is pretty cool. We put a CD out and stuff and original stuff, but um, saved a whole lot of money up, went back to Scotland, um, played there for about another two years or so, a year or so, and then from Scotland went to France, the ski resorts. And played there, and, and that's where we went to jail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've done hard time, hard time. 11 days. 11, yeah, 11 days? days, I think. Fuck, yeah, so what, what, was was. That, what was that for? Like an immigration thing? Yeah, or? it was enough. I, I should get a better story for it because it was <laughs> oh, I must be drugs or rock and roll. But really, it was we were playing too loud, and we were, we were on the radar of the, the French police there anyway. They had a few warnings, but it didn't seem too serious at the time for us. But one day they pulled our van over and pretty much asked for our paperwork, you know, papers, you know, and it, it sort of seemed that we'd come in illegally, which we didn't. It was just that our passports weren't stamped. But besides that, we didn't really have work permit to be, you know, so they cons- cons- um, confiscated all our money, searched our apartment, hoping to find a lot of stuff there, but probably just found a whole lot of bottles of bourbon, I'd say. And then, uh, <laughs> then they sent us to jail, uh, awaiting deportation. You know, Eleven days. That seems well. It, it's not. It's not an exact science. So they they go. It could be two days. They go. You stay here until we book the cheapest flight we can. You know, we can make all the arrangements, kind of thing. And they can keep you a maximum of eleven days or twelve days or something. So you could have gone at seven, but for some either on purpose to make a point or just through the bureaucracy of the whole thing, it ended up being the full stint. <laughs> no good behaviour. No good behaviour. But that was funny because you think, oh, it's just an immigration prison. But actually, that was quite full on because um, you got to imagine, you know, France is fairly, you know, with the whole um, their past. You know, there's Morocco. Everyone, everyone else in there was from um, Algeria, Morocco. You know, um, the French colonial, you know, overstays and stuff. But these guys have been here for 20, 30 years in France, and they've got families and kids there. So they're getting deported back to war-torn countries mm. and stuff, and they're pretty desperate guys. They don't want to be going back, you know. So there's, there's some pretty... Yeah. Um, and then, then there's just me and Matt, two little, two little white guys in there, you know. And it was just ridiculous. I mean, they were hunger-striking and everything to, you know, to make a point, and we were going, oh, shit, okay. And they would say to us, are you, are you hunger striking with us today? Well, why? No, I'm actually quite hungry. Food's quite good. You need eating. Food's quite good. Are you having that? No. You know, so, but, you know, it was, it was kind of funny. But Matt was quite, Matt Johnson, he was the drummer, um, who I did Moon's TV stuff with a little bit later on as well. But I remember in this van driving there, and, and uh, he was quite worried. He's a couple of years younger than me. I wouldn't say he was, you know, upset or anything, but I could tell he was really, you know, quite, quite sort of scared. Mm. And I said, look, don't worry, mate, it'll just be like a glorified departure lounge. We just won't be able to leave, you know, um, and, you know until we fly out. He goes, oh, okay. We, <laughs> the van pulls around this thing, and it's honestly, it's like Colditz Castle. I've got a photo of it somewhere. I've got to try and get it more handy. And I end up, we end up Googling the place later on, um, you know, more recent, recently, and that actual building used to be used um, by the Gestapo in World War Two because this is wow. Leon, and, and um, 
the guitar the Gestapo used it for interrogating you know people and stuff during during the war. And so it was a pretty you know. So it was an actual jail. Yeah, it was an actual jail. Yeah, yeah. with cells and stuff. Yeah. But I suppose um, I mean you could feel sorry for yourself, but yeah, we, like the way you explained before about yeah people being ripped from their families and sent oh, back totally. home to the yeah. awful countries. I suppose it gives you a bit of perspective. Oh look, we. By this stage, we couldn't wait to get back to New Zealand. We knew yeah. we were going to be on a flight. We got back to New Zealand, and it was a New Zealand flight. So as soon as we got on that flight, we almost felt like we were home. Just, like, just relief. There, just talking to their hostess coming up, oh, hey, and I think they knew we'd been deported. <laughs> so they were <laughs> sitting at the back of the plane yeah. in the, you know, the worst seats. And they sort of made a special fuss of us. I think they were bringing drinks and stuff. And it was, <laughs> it was great. But long story short, once we got back to New Zealand, we that, that experience combined with, you know, it's a, you know, we have fairly, a lot of fights going on with the band and stuff, and God knows why, when I think about it. We, <laughs> it's we, a lot we, of stories. We, we sort of realised that we let's, Let's just give the band a bit of a break, eh? Let's do other stuff. So yeah. So because you because you we, so when you're at university, you started a newspaper called um, the Moon. Moon. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was more actually around about this time. So I went back and said, let's give the band a break. So yeah. um, it's what about twenty five now, I suppose. Right. Um, and I went to film and TV school, thinking, okay, I might give that a crack. As a, as a film and TV school that it was, it was a total waste of time and money. Other than the fact that it, because nothing's really a waste of time if you get something out of it. And I think what I got out of it was, I quite liked this kind of stuff. Couldn't put my finger on it, what I wanted to do, whether it was directing, writing, whatever, but it's in that area. Um, and also that I might be okay at it, you know what I mean? You know, I was, Did you have sort of a creative flair? Even though you'd never done anything creative at that yeah, point? Yeah, I think so. I was always, I mean, I always, the band had a bit of that going on because, you know, when you do so, so many really good gigs, but then terrible gigs, you know, in Timaru, there's four people there and someone's like the movie putting the jukebox music on during the thing or you've got to stop at 7.23 on the dot and, they, and the band's got a shot and, they, and racing now and, you know, that, and it's, a dog races on, you've got to stop, then you play again. You, you really have to develop a sort of a thick skin and a sort of a sense of humour. Yeah. So we'd have the three of us on stage. So although we, we thought we were pretty cool sort of rock and roll band, when I think about it, we're actually more of a comedy show, really. We're going, um, you know, amusing ourselves. We're going, there's four people there ignoring us. We're going, well, we've got a dance competition coming up very shortly. And what are the prizes, man? Well, we've got a set of waterproof bed sheets to give away, and we've got, <laughs> well, one hour span. Is there any more than that? Yes, we've got this. And, uh, you know, so make sure you enter the dance competition, this sort of stuff. And everyone's looking at us going, shut what the fuck up, <laughs> get off, get off, you know. But so that, I think, and I always liked humour, like comedy, that sort of stuff, but. Again, I didn't grow up with New Zealand comedy at all. Um, it was probably more British stuff at all. But even overseas, we didn't really have TV or anything. So maybe from your parents, whatever. But, yeah, so I went to film and TV school. And I thought um, one way to make some money, I started up a newspaper. And because it came out monthly, I would call it The Moon. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a small, oh, that's where it came a monthly from. monthly cycle, yeah, right. as opposed to The Sun, you know. Oh, so, it was a, so it was a satire paper, still yeah. like The Onion? Or yeah, totally. Uh, I think, was I familiar with The Onion then? Maybe I was. Or maybe even... Was The Onion even a thing then? Actually, I was... This is sort of pre-internet, I was right? probably more... Remember Viz, Viz Comics, this British oh, yeah. thing? A bit like that. I liked the articles, and I didn't really like the cartoons, but the the, the classifieds and the, the stupid, um, I've got for sale a second-hand microwave, only this sort of stuff, and it's just ludicrous stuff. I think that inspired me, so I ended up writing all the columns, you know, this Garden City Yeti fact or fiction, is there really a Yeti going through the Hadley Park kind of thing, you know, <laughs> Bigfoot stuff, and, and writing all the columns, then selling advertising to people, you know. So how many, how many like, in my mind I've got a, a vision of like the coffee news, 
Yep. Uh, yep. How many, but, how many pages? Oh, no, was it ended up being about sixteen to twenty pages. Fuck. Yep. So you know, how much of it was? How many? How many ads? How much content? Ooh. Mainly content. Yeah, and mainly content, and then there'd be a few ads. And a few fake ads and a few ads I just put in for free for people that didn't even know I put in that just to make it look, you know. Legit. I, was, I was working till four in the morning. It was amazing how you used to have your work ethic. That's one thing that has changed. Four in the morning. And it was quite a hands-on thing. Again, this is pre-digital. So I'd have to print out all this stuff, these articles, stick them on these sort of broadsheets with PVA glue and stuff. And I had bits of letters and headlines stuck in my head in the morning, all sort of stuff. Then send it down to Timaru where it got printed by a newspaper printer. They'd send 10,000 of these things back. I'd jump in a van, go around all the cafes, radio stations, they'd have to drop them off and get them out for nothing. Oh, you're doing like a... Okay, so I sort of imagined you... Like going to the library and photocopying it and doing it like a, a small... Ru- oh, 10,000 copies. Oh, yeah. That was legit. Yeah, to, that's why I have to use a proper newspaper printer to do it because it would have been too expensive to... Um, so, it was a, so it was a free thing, so like rip it up, make it... a free thing, yeah. yeah. And I was trying to make money from the advertising, so I never made any money, but I might have... Bro- what it did, I, I did enough to do the next ep- next month, you know. Um, and then I moved to Auckland you know, to pursue TV and I thought I'd carry on I might as well keep the paper going you know more again probably out of ego than certainly wasn't financial um, so when did, I, did you feel like you were onto onto something though did you feel like it could be yeah, something that ends did. up being I definitely thought that this would take off um, and at different timings with that content I think it probably could have but nothing is wasted because I was trying hard to get jobs in TV and it got to the stage where I was done about 16 issues of this thing by this stage um and I was trying to get jobs on TV, and a friend of mine, um, her father, John Harris, ran Greenstone Pictures. And um, she was saying, you've got to lease into TV. He's, he's quite cool. You should take him on and give him a, you know, oh, look, we're not hiring anyone at the moment. Oh, look, he's writing this newspaper by himself and stuff. <laughs> and he used to be a journalist, <laughs> and it's full of typos and stuff. And, and, and he looked at it, and he must have been amused enough to go, oh, God, yes, I've got to meet this yeah. idiot. So, <laughs> you, so, so, so you look back now, so this, um, this so you're like mid-20s, so this was like 25, 26 yeah. six years ago, whatever. Um, you look yeah. back now, is, uh, you, do, you, do you see it from the perspective and go, actually, there's some quite good stuff here? Well, that's the thing. It morphed, and so I ended up getting a job on TV mm. because of it, but because of the pure effort of it, not the content of it. But then as TV progressed and I started doing my own stuff, it was like Moon TV, right? And you've got to come up with ideas, and con- the first thing I do is just grab all the papers and just start going through in that, and you've got a whole lot of scripts there. You've got four years' worth of scripts and even to this day, sometimes I find an old one and go, that's quite funny, I might rip that off and use it as a radio show gag or um, at the, just turn it around and, and make it just that line's quite funny or whatever. There's so much content, I've, I think I've pretty much picked it dry now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it served you well. Jeez, yeah, that's amazing. So, you've, um, <clears throat> so you've, you've always been a hustler. Yeah, you've, you've always been so. like just a yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and I wonder if um some of that sort of work ethic or that um resilience or durability comes from everything you went through before that, like the boarding school years, um, so. the yeah. English tunnel years. I think so. I think there was. See, I never thought of it as a hustling, but yeah, always thinking that I don't, not waiting for permission to do something. If you know what I mean, not going through a whole funding thing for two years and find out nah, we don't think it's good. You know. 
I always had an attitude, well, I'll find another way. I'll just do it. Do it you myself. Know? And, yeah, and, yeah. and it might not pay off the first time around, but maybe the second run will, and they'll say, oh, he is doing it. Okay, well, we'll find, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, actually, yeah, I, I want to get into all that because um, your website, Moonflix, incredible, and the, the, yeah. co- the content on there, you scroll down, it's exhausting. You've done, your body will, we, I mean, we just haven't got around to loading yeah. most of it. Your, you know? your body will work, though. It's, it's, it's massive. But um, first of all, so, so you're at Greenstone TV, yep. working behind the scenes, yep. doing research and stuff. Yep. How do you end up on um, Sports, oh, Sports Cafe, Cafe as yeah. that guy? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was kind of familiar with sports camp. I used to watch it on the, during the week and stuff. And Mark Alice was, was kind of a friend, but he seems to think we knew each other better than uh, – he might be right, but I seem to think he was more of a friend of a friend then. Um, we were mates and stuff. but um, And they were always short of a guest. You know, just <laughs> the way Rick used to run things. And, oh, shit, Mark would always go, oh, don't worry, mate, I'll sort it out, I'll get one. And he would always bring one of his mates on there. And there was people like um, Ben Hickey, the cannonball before me, and a few other people. And they were always, and they always went really well, you know. And um, one day, they obviously shot of a guest. He came down to my flat in Parnell there somewhere. And I think he was trying to get my flatmate to come on. So, come on, it'd be quite funny. And this guy was... By this stage, but I mean, I've got a real job now, Mark. I've got to go to work in the morning, this sort of stuff. Um, go to ask Lee, he's down the end there, probably making his newspaper, you know. <laughs> and uh, and he, he came in my room and said, Hey, mate, do you want to come on Sports Cap tonight? And I'm glad I said yes, but at the time I, I would have freaked out. I think, Fuck, you know, a bit of warning would have been, What do you mean now? I said, Yeah, look, I've got this, he's, I've got this Tupperware container full of garden snails. I said, yes. <laughs> um, we'll go down and we'll pretend you're at the international snail trainer going to the snail Olympics. And oh, fuck, so here we go. Next thing we know, we're in a car hitting the Sky Studios and running a few lines. And no one else on the show knew that I was a fake guest other than Mark. Oh, so Mark knew, but no yeah, one. Yeah. They must. How can you not? Um, how can you not smell bullshit with that? I don't know. Could we paint it so straight? Right. You know? So maybe, obviously, <laughs> is there an Olympics or is there an international snail racing in Cincinnati or not? <laughs> if, if there is, maybe he is going. You know, so he just paid it straight enough that. Um, it was believable. You know, people are and stuff yeah. going. It's just, maybe they just assumed. I was a nutter who at least believed he was going. You know, that, okay, right. as, as long as they believed right. something. And uh, we had to keep it straight. It was very hard to keep a straight face on it. Um, and it seemed to go down pretty well. And the next week, Rick wanted, let's do a follow-up on, on him. What, where is he now kind of thing. What happened? At the, you know? So there's a couple other stories. Um, apparently it must have gone down well, but it was hard to tell because I didn't even have a studio audience then. You couldn't get any reaction. And then um, someone left the show. Um, um, Cannonball left the show and Rick obviously heard that I was working in TV anyway and had a sort of an interest in it and, um, you know, and probably could bring something to the show. So he said, oh, well, do you want to do a, a weekly segment, you know? And um, I, didn't get, I didn't want to get a, a stupid name like Cannonball or anything like that, so I just stayed away from that. I just wanted to be myself. But in the meetings, he, he, he wanted to always give a handle to something, so he would say, well, what's um, that guy going to do this week then? What's that guy going to do? You know, so he ended up getting, ironically... Even stupider name uh, <laughs> from not wanting one, you know. Yeah, does it does has that still stuck to this day, or is uh, it is it people of a certain age? Amazing, some people just yell at hey, that guy, you know. Because um, I feel like you and Jeremy was probably similar in that respect, where like, he's known as to, yeah, to in a to, similar time. Yeah, to people of a certain demographic, he's known as newsboy, and always totally. will be. You'll be that guy. Oh, totally. But I feel like the, the younger people would have no idea. Um, younger people, yeah, for sure, mm. definitely. So, um, that, so that was um, just going back to the snail thing. So I watched that yeah. on YouTube the other the other day when I heard you were coming over. Um, 
Yeah, deadpan as fuck. And oh. d- d- you squash a snail. Yeah, you I know, kill that's, a snail. that's over my shoe. I think I <laughs> euthanized it. And I, think, I suppose that's Kodak. I kind of regret that now because I, I probably wouldn't do that. Do you now. why? Just because it's mean? Yeah. Yeah, or, I, yeah, exactly. It was mean. I, and I, I don't like hurting animals and stuff. Um, if you want to call a snail an animal, yeah. at least it's right on the bottom of the chain, I suppose. But still, it was, it was an attention seeking thing to do. You know, it was a shock thing to do. Lana was like, you know. Um, you, you can't. I mean, it was. Um, you know, you were swimming in those comedy waters at the time, and it was yeah. acceptable then, yeah, and for the age to, you were. Yeah, at, you so. had to kind of yeah. go. And you know, once it came into your head, you had to sort of go through it. I mean, it didn't really, uh, didn't regret it at the time or anything. But uh, I mean, but <laughs> it's since then, I, I, I probably would have. But there you go. That's that's youth for you. I mean, if you were in a band now, you wouldn't be writing the songs or doing half the stuff that you would have then. Yes. You, you, you know, you can't. You grow and change. If, yeah. you, if you're not embarrassed by some of the stuff you've done oh, in your younger oh, years, totally. I think you've wasted your life. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, big time. Um, so, yes, so I was doing both jobs. I was doing the Greenstone serious sort of so-called TV and then each week rushing off and doing the – having mm. to do a, a field story each week for SportsCAF. And eventually SportsCAF became more and more a, a bigger thing, so I – they left Greenstone and went full time with that, and starting to make my own stuff. I suppose, yeah. Mm, yeah, that stuff as that guy was like groundbreaking, game changing. Like you go to all black press conferences and yeah. make a make a pest of yourself. Was that awkward as fuck in the beginning? I suppose once people get to know you, yeah. And but your no, funny, style, enough, funny enough, um, and this is where, if anything, I'd like to sort of claim TV making sort of skill um, was a good thing. Like I'm not that confident type of person and I'm not the type of person that would walk in a press conference and make it all about me and fall through the Venetian blinds you know just get attention <laughs> I'm not, it's not a Borat type I couldn't do that yeah, yeah. I'd, uh, I'd freak out or a Guy Williams type thing I can't do that kind of stuff rather I tend to think what's it going to look like on screen as long as that's funny so it's more about editing and I don't want to sort of give away that I don't ask the odd stupid question but Really, it's about, you know, wide shot, close-up, close-up, cutaways of that guy reacting, but he was reacting to something else earlier on. So I'd go to these press conferences, and all the other media would be there, and they'd go, oh, here he is again, whatever. And they would be sitting there, and by and large, nothing would really happen, you know, from their perspective. And if it did, you wouldn't be invited back each week. Mm. You know, if you kept going in there and making it about yourself and, you know, setting yourself on fire or setting a fire extinguisher <laughs> off, you know, it just wouldn't... They'll, they'll just get sick of you, and it's quite a selfish thing to do. But uh, but when they watch the footage back, even the people I interviewed, that's when the craziness would happen because it's the cutaways that they hadn't seen, it's the backstory that they don't know about while I was running late to the press conference, whatever, you know. By and large, the actual things that happened there, occasionally you had to put yourself out there and ask a pretty stupid question, like, you know, Reuben Thorne in the huddle, you know... Uh, what do you do you know, on there for the full 80 minutes if you, if you need to do poos in a big game? You know, you, you have to actually ask that, you know. And, and everyone, everyone's got what? You know, but that's about as far as I'd go because I'm not the type of person that would, you know. Oh. And the joke's got to be on me as well. I, I don't like ambushing people and making them right. feel uncomfortable. Right. I only did that once. And well, uh, What was that? Um, do you remember the, the old um, British um, motor reporter, Murray Walker? He was an old, was an old, old fella. He's the voice of UK um, motor racing for all the years, you know, through the classic years. And he was releasing a book, and he was a guest on SportsCAF coming out. Well, he wasn't a guest. My job was to go and do a, a field story with him, um, you know, on his book launch. So I thought, shit, how, what can I do different? Because you're sort of in competition with yourself to come up with a different angle 
each week. You don't want to sort of, oh, we did that last week, that physical gag. Let's do something a little different. Mm-hmm. So with him, I thought, okay, first time I thought, let's do something almost in real time. So I met him at his hotel and in the lobby. And But before he got there, I sort of arranged, I had two cameras this time instead of the one that we'd, you know, so, this, so I could get his reactions in real time and what I'm doing in real time. So it is kind of real, you know. And so I got there and he's, I've arranged with this actor mate, Matt, again. We didn't even tell the hotel this, but I put him in a suit and badge on him and made out he was the manager of the hotel, you know. And he's not. And we just, we just, we just do this. We sit down and I'm sitting there in the lobby and you're Murray Walker there and I'm going, Murray, welcome to the show. You got a new book out. Tell us how you got into motor. You know, it's all very serious. I'm playing it very straight. And then in the back of my shot, you can, or his shot or something, you can see Matt storming over like with a sort of a piece of paper and stuff and he, goes, he interrupts the interrupts the interview mid um, I'm sorry uh, Mr. Hart you have a good time in your room last night did you, you know? and, you, and you, can, you can see Murray, Murray Walker's face going and he's feeling really sorry for me and he goes did you have a good time did you did you uh, did you enjoy your mini bar did you, you know, and he goes well, yeah, well, yeah, I just had a couple. Of, you didn't pay for them, did you? And and he makes me stand up and he goes, open your pocket, and I'm 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 giving out you know those little bottles of whiskey. I'm, yeah. sort of, <laughs> I'm I'm having to hand them over, and Murray Walker's sitting there going, he's going, what? This is for real, and he's feeling sorry for me, and I, it, was, it was so hard to do because without breaking character, and it was in well, this is going for ages, and Matt was playing it, Matt was playing it great. I said, look, sorry, sorry, and he, and he walks off. I go, oh, sorry about that, Murray. He goes, yeah, you sure? You know, yeah, cool. And then he goes, and, and the end, another question that's going, okay, you see him coming over again. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just escalating. And he, and he pulls out this sex doll from behind him. He goes, oh, oh. do I have to explain this? <laughs> <laughs> he must have played his part oh, really well. He did. It's probably the best performance I've seen from him. And I'm sort of biting my cheeks, trying not to laugh. And the, the, the reason I felt bad because he wasn't in on it. Normally, I would say, hey, Dom, we're going to do a story here. Look, if I ask a few questions, silly, just play along with it. Just play straight. It'll look better on the, on the end of the day. But for reasons, because I d- didn't want him to... He, sure. wasn't, he wasn't aware who I was and wasn't familiar with my... So it was easy just to do it, you know? Yeah. And I regret it because he was a bit upset afterwards. Oh, was he? The LD sort of guy because he felt he got taken advantage of and used in a cheap stunt, which he was. So I ended up sending him a <laughs> bottle of wine. And saying to Rick, I'm not comfortable, I don't want to run this story, He's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't want it. Um, and then he, Rick, ended up talking to his PAs, but then they ended up running it. Um, it. But it's a very little known one, I think it was in a weird time, a long weekend or something, it yeah. didn't seem to go out, I've still got a copy of it, but oh my God, that was hard work. Oh, that's, I think you're being, um, did you Did you think it was good until you realised there was a bit of backlash? Yeah, totally, from, I was really, I, was, I thought, my God, this is really, this is a great thing, it's worked exactly as I imagined and Matt was great and this his reactions this Murray was like and at the end it's, I think it finishes off with me asking Murray Walker if I can borrow 40 bucks off him or something <laughs> to, to pay you know or I, it was just something it was just ridiculous but and that was the most I suppose Borat-y I've, right. I've, I've ever gone um Oh, I, don't, I feel like you shouldn't be beating yourself up about that. Oh, look, it seems like the joke was on you. Well, was it, your was, it was. It totally was. Um, he didn't. He was asking. We were promoting his book. Um, he was just answering the questions he was asked intelligently. I was the one looking like a total idiot. But he just felt that the whole interview about his book was secondary to me trying to get a, a comedy right. show, which it was. You know. Yeah. You think about oh, it. Are you quite a sensitive guy? I feel like you just don't, don't want to upset people. I don't like hurting people's feelings or anything, yeah. you know, um, or 
um, especially unintentionally. You know, I wouldn't. I know. Yeah, definitely. I think so. You know. Yeah. So, so sports cafe. So after that, what was after? Was it Moon TV straight after that, or yeah, or at the same time in a way, right? Um, sports cafe had a sort of a season of about thirty six shows or something to be off air for ten weeks, and then it'll come back again. So in the ten weeks that's off, I went to Sky and said, "Look, well, if I came up with a comedy show, would you better stick it on in this space or something, and I'll go get the sponsors or something?" They said, "I am." So I ended up getting a one sponsor or something. Yeah, auto Trader. Yeah, was it Auto, auto Trader? Tra- it might be an Auto Trader, I think. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so random. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so, so Sky TV, they were sort of like, we can't give you any money for a show, but if Pretty you much. want to do a show, yeah. knock yourself out. And that kind of, from that I thought, yeah, well, that's probably how it's going to work from now on. So I did end up getting New Zealand Air funding for a few series of Moon and other things and went to TVNZ, but I didn't mind going to sponsors. As long as sponsors don't meddle with it and they, get, they just... If they understand that you're just trying to make a good show, and if you make a good show, they're going to get the benefits anyway. You don't have to shoehorn their messages too much into mm. it. I feel like you've always done that quite successfully over the years, though. Shoehorning stuff in? Yeah, yeah. yeah just, no, the, the, the clients that you've got and the, oh, the yeah, yeah. obligations to them, you've, you've always made it quite fun, creative content. Oh, oh totally. And I don't think um, – I don't, I don't recall any sort of real bad experience with sort of clients being on your case and ringing up and can we do this, can we do that? So, no, they, they sort of leave you to it by large, more so now because they trust you even more, mm. I think. But back then, probably a little, I think, well, House of Travel once um, sponsored a, something it did and they were a little bit, you know, you know, this is off brand or something. And um, But other than that, no, it was, it was pretty Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Good, yeah. That's a, yeah, so, um, I mean, there's, there's one famous story that, that gets told over and over again about Flight of the Concords. So they, they pitched their TV show to TVNZ, and TVNZ were like, yeah, we'll do it, but we want to change this and this and this. Yeah, yeah. And they ended up, t- Brent and, and Jermaine ended up turning it down. Ended up being a BBC radio show and then an HBO show, and the rest yeah, is history. Yeah. Um, was it sort of like that with you? Like, if you or did, did no one, did none of the TV networks want to make your show? Um, I think with me, it was a case of yeah. Put it this way, it's, it's, it's ironic now because people at networks now that you'd be dealing with were like kids or potentially fans back then. You know, now they're in the positions of power to make these days younger than me now, make these decisions, but they're familiar with your stuff. But back then, the people are 20 years older than me and they don't know who this young upstart is and, uh, you know, and they don't get it. It's too... Too um, random. Too yeah. random. Yeah. And I'm going, yeah. just trust me, it's, you know... See, I got sick of trying to not just... It's hard enough making a show, let alone convince people it's worthy of getting made. So I'd rather just go, look, I'm just going to make it and you do what you want with it. And at the time, I, I saw it as a curse... 
but all my stuff is on at like 10 at night, 11 at night, 10, 30 at night, you know, which is kind of not bad now, but back then I was going, shit, what, this is better than that, it should be on earlier. But the beauty of that was it became a cult thing as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, a fast burn type sort of show mm-hmm. where, and you have, you know, it, you could do what you want and they just left you to it. They didn't even look at the footage really before they put it to air. And the other beauty of that is I ended up owning all the footage because they didn't really care. They said, yeah, you make your show, whatever. But, you know, but if I was on 7.30 at night or even something like eating media lunch, eating media lunch you know, I mean, Jeremy doesn't have any ownership or control of that, whereas everything I've done, I own, you know. And yeah, and this I, is why. This, shit, yeah. but at least I own it. Yeah. It's my shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, and your body of work is, is fucking massive. I mentioned your uh, website earlier, Moonflix, um, which has a very, very similar looking logo to Netflix. Yeah, it's on purpose. Um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you, like, there's no sort of paywall or anything. How do you monetize that? People can well, watch any of your stuff for free. We, we haven't really monetized it. In a way, it was, um, it's a work in progress in that sense, but what it was more than anything is it's an archive um so we've got hard drives all over the show and if i if i suddenly think of a clip i've got to ring up my brand manager and say hey have you got a copy of that thing can you make a file of that and said you know so we made the decision let's upload as much as we can over time up there and we'll, we'll worry about how to monetize it later once it's up there um and it kind of works i mean we've got um a whole series up there like mysterious planet or the latest Heartland show we did. So if I was interested in, say, um, pitching or selling that to a, an overseas network, I could just send them a link and they can see yeah, all the apps, that, that kind of stuff. It's just easier. But as I say, it would be easy to monetize because what we can do, um, we can sell um, the, the banners and the stuff around there. You know, you can have that for a month or we can even take the video, if you like, all the Speedo Cop stuff, we could take those off, re-upload them with Speedo Cops brought to you by, you know, Dom Harvey, you know, and and there you go. So, but we haven't really done that because mm. we're sort of too busy making other stuff. And um, so it's, it's obvi- almost need someone, else, need someone else to kind of do that, you know. Yeah, and have you have you got like a sales team or anything? No, or? No. no, no, it's probably what it needs. But um, yeah, I think the key is just to get more stuff up there, yeah. some of the older stuff before it gets lost forever, um, which it will, because um, we're the only ones that with versions of it. But I see stuff coming up all the time on YouTube. People. Other people are hosting my stuff on YouTube on their channel, so I might as well put it up myself. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you that, because a lot of your stuff's on YouTube, and, because you are, and a lot of it's got, like, quite high viewing numbers as yeah. well. Do you, do, you make, do you make reasonable money off YouTube? Nah, not really. I, I've forgotten. What, like a couple of hundred a month, a few hundred a Oh, uh, yeah, but I don't, I mean, most of the stuff that's got big views is some of my clips that someone else uploaded, oh. <laughs> you know, and uh, you can chase that down, or it's just, uh, you know, Not worth the hassle. You know, because you take his down and you upload your old up, and it's yeah. got no views, because I've already yeah. seen it, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Or a lot of those silly shows overseas, world's wackiest write-offs, you know, and people fails, fail army kind of shows. Um, a lot of your stuff appears on that, and you're going, what? You know, yeah, How did that end up there? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know, I think we have done some deals with certain companies that will do that stuff, but a lot of it has been ripped off, and you mm. just get on with it, I suppose, you know. Yeah, are you, are you not, not that financially driven? Are you just more into the uh, creative... I, I, I just you, you pick your battles, I think. Yeah. I mean, what what are you going to do? What are you going to get out of it? Um, if you were more, f- you would have uploaded yourself, and you know, there is definitely a time to be doing that. I think I probably should be doing more of that, monetizing the whole lot, um, maybe licensing the whole lot to someone else and let them yeah. do it. You know, it might be an easier way of doing it. But um, I, I'm sort of financially driven enough to I want to make money and be comfortable, but. 
certainly more creatively driven than financially. Yeah. You know, if I want to start making a show, it's because I, I want to make it. And because it will help the big picture overall branding of other things I'm doing as opposed to, well, I want to get rich off this particular TV series. Yeah, you know? it's, yeah. 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 You've, um, one, one person that's been involved in a lot of your TV over the years, um, Jason, Jason Hoyt. Yeah. Um, yeah, you guys um, did a radio show together, the uh, Bougie that we talked about before yep. on Radio Hauraki. Um, I see you're, you're sort of back together, working together now. Um, but there, there was a... There was, a, there was a bad bit there for a while with you two. I, I, I heard yeah. stories about you guys at Holdak at the end and it was, you, you couldn't be in the same room or you couldn't talk to each other. Yeah, I said that too. Look, how do I... I don't know what happened. We... Right. we I asked. I, do, do you want to hear what um, I asked Matt Heath about it? Oh, yeah. uh, he does the breakfast on Holdak. He, he, had a, he had a theory and I, I was in radio at the time and I thought this theory yeah. made a lot of sense. He said... Um, he said uh, Dom, yeah, the show you do, you look for things that are topical and then you come up with something off that. He said, these guys, every day, they're inventing a show based on nothing but their own imaginations. In real and time. He, and he, he said that um, eventually you're going to get juiced. And uh, that was his take on it. Would that be a fair take? or? No, nah, I don't think so, actually. Um, all respect. <laughs> what no, does no, he know? Yeah, no, it was more a case off, of, like... I remember when this show started, we started off on just a half-hour show once a week on a Saturday or something, then we ended up doing alternative commentary or other way around. Um, and we'd worked together with, with TV, and we always worked well, but, this, you, um, but it's always sort of um, just for a couple of days here and there. But the thing is, we, similar age, we were professional friends, if you know what I mean. We never sort of hung out. Right, you know gotcha, I mean? yeah. I've, I've never been to his house. If you know what I'm saying, but on on the show, we're, we've got a lot in common, but we have a lot we're not in common. Um, so, but we never argue about anything. Uh, we never argue about anything. I think if I put my spin on it, it was a kind of, the, the show. You can have a smoke and mirrors show, or it is what it is. And from Jason's perspective it was more sort of smoke and mirrors you know hey we're heading down here we're going to be getting up mirrors. I was kind of more living that life for real <laughs> in a way um, Jason doesn't drink right um, he's given up a while ago for reasons probably good reasons um, I, you know but no and that's for respect from I still do and still did so if we're doing a Friday sort of party type show, it was kind of a Friday party type. Again, I'm talking about that authenticity. I'm not saying you have to drink to be authentic. I'm far from it. I'm saying, and for someone, I think, like Jace, who was a, you know, a reformed alcoholic, or, you know, basically struggled with that, I think. And, yeah, and yeah. he had uh, some other pressures going on um, at, say at home but with other sort of stuff yeah. in that field I think and I almost I think I became the um, the brunt of his frustration the focus of it and I, I don't think he would argue with this we've never really talked about it but we, we get on good but it's not like we had to sort of repair anything because we weren't hanging out together the whole time anyway but it got to a stage at the end there where he said he was quitting the show and I said okay and then I said well I don't really want to do the show if you're not doing it you know, so I said, well, could as well, you know, because I wasn't too worried about the, the show, the money side of it. I, I, was the, I loved doing it. But I wasn't going to try and find someone else to replicate the, the um, chemistry that we had, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, was, he just wanted to go and do a late-night 
talk show by himself, 11 o'clock at night, talking to, you know, he was, you know, and he struggled with the, and you know better than most, the, the, the you think it's just talking on the radio, it's travelling the country, you know, doing all mm. the, the stuff. And oh, there's a lot of bullshit here. that goes and, into it. And I was having to do a lot of that on yeah. his behalf in a way. Or we'd both do it, but he didn't like doing that side of it, and fair enough, a lot of people don't. Um, having to meet sponsors for lunch, go and have a beer with them, to get them over the line, to, you know, he wouldn't be into doing that, which is fair enough. Um, and I didn't mind doing it. So there was this sort of yin-yang sort of thing going on. But So I said, I don't want to do a show if you're not going to do it. Then it gets confusing. Then he came back for a while without me, and, and then I got talked to him, and I said, okay, I'll do it with these guys, you know. And then, but I said, I also had an issue that I was not doing the TV that I wanted to do in radio. It was a drive show, I had plenty of time in the morning, but it's hard to do a TV show when you've got to be in there each day. Yeah, and you season. can't just disappear yeah. for a week and leave everyone in the lurch while you this off and make a half-assed TV show. So I thought, well, this is a good opportunity. I can, I will we'll just draw a line under it here and go and um, get back into some TV stuff, um, you know, because radio goes so quick, as you know, shit, two years are gone and all we've got to show for it is a whole lot of ridiculous shows, which were great shows, right? Um, but then, I, so I did that. I, I sort of quit and said, well, and then Jace decides to come back, kind of thing. And, and he's still there now with um, yeah, yeah, Mike yeah. Minogue. Yeah. Kind of doing yeah. what we did the first time around. Um, but, you know, so look, I don't know. Um, he might have a better, he's probably the only person that could answer it. And whether he answers it honestly or not, yeah. that's the honest, most honest version I can come up with. But no, we certainly haven't fallen out. I mean, I just saw him just the other day um, um, at the ACC, you know, and, and we get on good. But uh, I think Friction and Ease of Creative Partnership is a, co- yeah, a common thing. We didn't really have any friction with yeah. that stuff. I mean, we were, we were, it was just funny. We'd be cracking up, you know. We, we loved doing each other. TV is a slightly different thing because um, I'm a I'm not control freak, but it's my show. I've got, I'm making this thing where I'll get Jace along for the stuff we do, but he literally just shows up for the day. You know? Yeah. Um, and that could be frustrating because I'm, I'm, I'll be scripting most of the stuff kind of thing. and But I don't mind that because when he comes in, he brings so much to it, you know, and takes it from here to here, you know. Um, whether it's the fishing show or the late night breakfast, you know, he's such a good performer. He doesn't need much. But, as, but, that was, but those shows were hard work for me because once he goes, I'd have to do all the editing, do all the stuff, trying to work out what guests we can do and how can we diff, different angle on this. And, you know, but once I got an angle and a rough script, I could just chuck it out at him and he would bring his own magic to it, you know. Yeah. That's why it worked really well. Um, and I think we'll probably do some TV um, together again. But what it does do, it forces you to get out of your comfort zone a bit and work with some other people as well. You mm. know, you're probably guilty of relying on, you know, doing the same stuff, relying on people who you're comfortable working with, you know. Yeah. And that's it's a good opportunity to do other stuff, but, yeah, we'll do plenty more together. Yeah. Well, it's good that there's no bad blood there. No. You probably just needed a break from each other. It is. I, I think people underestimate how um, intense it is doing a radio show with another person. I think, you know, and I hope, to be kind to myself here, because I don't think I'm a bad person, I think, I'd like to think, um, and I, I think we did have, I think he did say that, that he was going through some... Other stuff that um, you know manifested it itself yeah, of and, and this kind of thing, and that, that's that's fine by me. I don't mind being, I don't mind that happening. You know, it's it's going to happen. Mm. But, you know, I'm not the sort of people. I'm not the sort of person that falls out with anyone. I don't think I've fallen out with anyone in my life on anything. Mm. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, apart from the, the old guy from the UK, the motoring. <laughs> I think he's passed away now. <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, shit, we've been. I just looked at the uh, the clock. We've been going for over an hour. We yes. haven't even got into your into your entrepreneurial side of things. All my running. And, yeah. uh, no. You got to be anywhere, or are you good for a little bit? <laughs> Fuck of yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. So, um, Wacky Changi Beer. How did that come about? Where was that? Well, again, it's all it's all a continuation of, of the same thing. So I never wanted to say, suddenly go, oh, my God, I think I could make a beer better than anyone else and make a beer. It was a pure, again, exaggeration of the same character thing. So I remember you make a TV show, it's all or nothing. You get it made, it's all exciting. So you end up going on your show and talking about the show in the morning. Oh, great. You go on a drive show, talk about the show, it goes on. Hardly anyone sees it. People talk about it, have a few laughs. Oh, I loved your show. But then it's off. And no one talks about it anymore. It's mm. done, you know. Yeah. Um, and you've got another six months before you make another show, and it's all, all or nothing. Meanwhile, you, you start seeing at the Wellington Sevens, half the people dressed up as speedo cops and stuff, and you start going, that's really cool, but people are really getting it. And I just wanted the networks, TV networks, to see that kind of love or connection. But they don't. You know, you go into their office to pitch the next show, they don't even... They go. They don't ever go. Oh yeah, it's going off. Everyone's really relating to this stuff. Um, so I wanted to find a way to keep the continuity going between sort of shows, and not financially, but it, you know. So I thought, what could I do to um, connect with people still? You know, do we have a speedo cop shows or live shows or something? Do this, and I suddenly thought, well, if I do do a beer with a similar sort of branding and attitude of the TV shows, it'll be out there the whole time. People can can enjoy it or, or not. So I literally was sitting in the, the office, there was three of us in there, and I said, look, hey guys, I'm thinking we might do a beer brand for a laugh, and they said, oh yeah, okay, um, and I thought about calling a Wacky Changi, because on Sports Cafe I used to do this old, went to the Waikato River, and did a silly story where I was talking about the river going, the old Wacky, the old Wacky Changi, the old Wacky Tommy, you know. Oh, is that where it came from? Oh yeah, right, it's just right. a stupid word, and um, I, I get people that contact me and I go, hey, you ripped off our name for the Waikato River that we, we were... The wacky chat said, oh, "Mate, how are you? I heard that twenty years ago, you know, and they got it from me. For the, you know, but so anyway, I rang up a brewery. Oh no, I put it on Facebook. Said, think about doing a beer called Wacky Changi. It'll be blah blah blah. What do you think? And it just kind of went off because back back in the day when Facebook was quite massive. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I said, shit, I've got to do it now. It's one of those moments where you you commit to something uh, and you you have to follow through. Now it's been like, hey, I'm gonna." Kilimanjaro, or I'm going to do the coast to coast, and you tell everyone, and oh shit, I've got to do it now, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's a bit like that. So I rang up a brewery, and, and they said, "Can you make the beer?" And they said, "Yeah, we've got a beer we could do. We just put a sticker on it with your stuff." And I wrote all the crap on it, and so it was more about the attitude of the beer, you know, not taking beer too seriously. It was called quite nice beer. Beer's, beer's <laughs> so subjective anyway. One half, you know, yeah, half, half the people hate it anyway. Yeah. You can't get five people in a room and agree on the same beer. So, well, I've noticed that the uh, supermarket next door to where I live, the New World, they've got a massive, massive range of craft beer, and it's just like stickers put on uh, the uh, yeah, put on yeah. a can. It's probably the same uh, beer in all oh, of them. Totally. Um, so that was the attitude of that, and that took off. So, um, and then I got is that quite is that quite a lucrative thing? Yeah, it certainly was. So I got involved with another brewery, McCashins. They ended up coming on. So rather than me having to run it like I was then, that was pretty hard work because I was distributing the stuff and everything. Oh, yeah, I saw you a couple of times in a van, like dropping (laughs) boxes off at stores and things. (laughs) That's probably, yeah. Um, But McCashin's brewery came on, but it was with a different model. They said, we'll Mm -hmm. go halves in it, we'll we'll do the distribution, make the beer, you can do the marketing. And it became quite lucrative then. And then from that, we did the chips kind of thing, you know. 
Um, yeah. Um, yeah, you're accelerating this way too fast. Okay, so oh, so, yep. the, so the beer, and then um, from that snacker changy chips, chips, which you, yep. you you've, I don't know, me and my uh, video guy Dougie, we were talking about Mark Ellis before you arrived, and uh, you know making all his money from orange juice, and yeah, it's like, yeah. we, how how did someone see a gap in that market? To me, it's the same with like salt and vinegar chips. It was a clustered market. There's there's cop, copper kettles and yeah. bluebird or whatever, but you sort of reinvented the chip wheel. But I think it's a comedy of errors and. It's that, what do you call that sort of navigation? Um, it's like basket. You know, you're following stars, but you're probably going that way, that way, that way. You know, it's... Um, Not like a direct route. Yeah, there's a, there's some sort of term for it. It might come back to me. But um, I didn't sort of suddenly thought think... Uh, I was thinking, what would be good with, with the beer? A good accompaniment for the beer. And to be honest, I was slightly bored again because I was waiting. <laughs> I was I, in between seasons. I wanted to get the beer into cans for the brewery. And the brewery I was working with, McCashins, they were trying the hardest to get a canning line, but they didn't have one yet. And I said, well, come use someone else's, whatever. So I was a little bit frustrated because it's hard to keep marketing the same thing, saying, oh, beer's still here, drink it. You know, I wanted to tell the story that we're in cans now, whatever. So in the meantime, I thought, okay, well, how can I keep the story going with something else? So... Uh, it could have been. Uh, I was thinking about doing nuts or you know chips, something to do with beer. Long story short, I think I contacted Griffins and said um, I'm keen to do some chips, um, in the wacky jangy sort of kind of thing, and they got me in for a meeting. And this is where it gets weird because they they would expect me to be the wacky kind of guy, you know, like come up. So they were thinking, oh, okay, what are you thinking? Are they going to be like beer flavored chips? Are they? Beer and chive and cheese or something. And I was going, well, that sounds, that sounds, sounds awful. disgusting. You know, well, you know, so this is a common sense. Yeah. Like just because you're it's a so-called wacky, crazy guy, that's that sounds like that terrible. How would that sell? So I said, what are your top four flavors? And they said, well, salted, salt vinegar, and barbecue or something. I said, well, that probably makes sense to do those, wouldn't it? They said, well, we've already got those. I said, yeah, I know, but we'll do it different and with a different spin on it. They said, oh, okay, that sounds good. Um, and then they said, what sort of chip do you want to do? And I suddenly realised I was pretty un- unprepared for this sort of meeting, and I didn't really thought that much about it. So I was going, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I didn't want chips that broke away in the dip and stuff. It had to be it. So I, I was thinking about <laughs> of a thick chip anyway. So I said, I sort of threw the question back. I said, well, well what are you doing now? What do you do now? And they said, well, we do a thick chip. We do, the, we do a crinkle cut, and we do a kettle fry as well. I said, oh, cool. Can you do all that to the same chip? <laughs> and I remember I was sitting in this boardroom, and all of a sudden, you know, someone looks up and someone asks the R&D guy, and they go, you know, next thing, so we did that, and it somehow locks the flavour, and I think somehow, I don't know. Because um, they are more flavoursome than yeah. any other chip. And they, they, long of, shot. they, of course, came up with the, sort of the, 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 the flavour. Then we went in for tastings, and we said, not that one. We, we So we... I suppose we all sort of came up with the profile, so to speak, but at the end of the day, it's still a salt and vinegar chip, mm. which is now vinegar and salt, because the vinegar is more, you know, full on in our ones, I think, you know. <laughs> so that's what you have to do, you just put a twist on the same thing, vinegar and salt instead of salt and vinegar. Yeah, but, and, but you see the packaging, and it's um, it's it's yeah. very funny, and it's very humorous, and it's very tongue-in-cheek, and it's very Lee Hart, but, yeah. but, but the bottom line is, it's um, it's the best chip. Oh, totally, and I think I've, you know, thanks to Griffin's kind of... Oh, home run! I haven't fluked it because I like to, I like to take as much credit as I can. But if they tasted like shit, it wouldn't matter. And matter how good the branding was, people will buy it once and they turn. Yeah, they go. They buy, yeah. they buy it out of loyalty or whatever. I, I like the fact that hopefully most people that are buying those chips now don't even know who the hell I am. 
they just like the chips heard from someone else that they taste good and they continue to taste good and if they happen to know me or read the packet and enjoy a laugh that's a bonus again it's the i do all the copy and stuff on the on the packets and for me that is a way but like when i talk about the beer of keeping myself out there in a way without having to do a radio show every day without having to um do a tv show every you know second week to say i'm still here kind of thing it's, it's kind of a bit of a release um i'm just i'm surely not like writing a book or a you know a column but you know i quite enjoy doing the mm. The copy and stuff and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Is that, is, is, will that be is that lucrative? Will that be like a retirement thing? Yeah, the, the chips are to be probably the most lucrative. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, well deserved. This is, the, the, no, no, none of this is none of this is luck. Like this all stems back to the uh, <laughs> I suppose the entrepreneurial spirit you had in your twenties when you started your newspaper. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a case of um, you know how you know some people, young people, or someone would say, "What advice would you give to a young person trying to do this and this?" As and it's so cliche, it's that thing of uh, give it a crack. So it's not luck, it's, it's give it a crack. If it doesn't work, who cares? Mm-hmm. You've already got to lose. The band is like that. I was convincing the other two that, shit, you know, we we, we got to do this because we thought we were going to take over the world as a band. My God, I look back there now. <laughs> the, the, the arrogance, the ego of it. But the point was, if there was 0.1% that we could, we'd have to give it a crack. Because I, I wanted to give it a crack knowing pretty well that we wouldn't make it big but if we if we didn't give it a go at all i knew i'd, I'd be this guy in my mid-30s sitting there going, i used to play guitar in a band i could have done that i should have done that i could have you know i didn't want to be that i'd rather take that out of the equation you yeah know? don't die wondering don't die wondering and again these cliches for a reason and and or i used to say you know you cross that bridge when you get to it blow that bridge up when you get to it who cares if it doesn't work but mm. just give it a crack um, and as you get older, as I say now in my very early 50s, <laughs> you, uh, you almost need to, that's the beauty of these sort of podcasts, is that you, you hear yourself say it again, you've got to remind yourself to keep doing that a little bit too, because mm. you can get complacent and, um, and you're a little bit choosy now, you don't do every stupid thing that comes your way, but you still got to remind yourself, like, you know, you're not Have dead yet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, well, I um yeah, I, I turned fifty a couple of weeks ago, and um the, uh, the way I see it, it's like if you think of you think of your life as a sports game, and every year is a minute. It's like I'm just into the second half. You're just into the second half. Oh yeah, like you got so like if I've got a lot of friends that are about the same age as us, and they're like, oh, they're sort of winding down their careers. Yeah, or, the second half's the biggest half, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Unless, so you, you, get, just, unless you get subbed off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> bring them off, get them out of there. Yeah, but they, they, these friends, man, they're, they're deciding to sub themselves off. Yeah. Basically, oh yeah, totally. Hey, I have time out. I'm out of here. Yeah, um, you, you mentioned your ego a few times in this interview. How's your How's your ego on the flip side of that? Like the uh, like you, you're in a critic. Yourself, are you quite are you quite kind to yourself? Are you quite nice to yourself? I'm or are you quite so, hard on I'm, you? I'm pretty self critical of, of the work kind of thing. Like I, um, yeah, um, I'm less. I'm, I'm less. I used to have to sit there for every edit and all this sort of stuff. But now Brent, who I've worked for years, I trust him so much that he can pretty much sort of do do it, do it himself. And then we just make sort of changes here and there, and you know. Um, but no, I'm. I don't really. I don't think I have an ego of. I think. Um, no, because I, I, th- I think like the word ego. When people think of ego, if someone's got an ego, you think they they've got to stick up their ass. Yeah. But there's like the ego on the other side where it's like you know how you how you treat yourself as a, oh, as a yeah. person. Um, you're quite nice to yourself, or you? Oh, I feel like to, like today that story you told before about the old motoring guy in the UK. It feels like you're still sort of beating yourself up about that. Oh yeah, totally. Look, I um, 
I'm not sort of beating myself up about it, but I would... Just um, regret? Yeah. yeah, look, he lived, we lived, I'm sure he had a laugh about it a week later. He probably, he may have, I'd like to think he maybe looked at the footage a couple of weeks later and thought, that was actually funny, who knows? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't at his funeral, I don't know. But, um, no, I think, I, I certainly do, I mean, like, you do get self, um, I broke up, I had marriage breakup, um... I don't know, 18 months ago. But it's, it's, uh, um, so that that is a time where you do a lot of self-reflection, I suppose, yeah. you know, and you realise well, maybe we're up your own ass a little bit with work and focusing on too much on this. And not that I'm busy. I was, I'm not like I certainly wasn't a workaholic. But you may be thinking too much about um, what you're doing, your show, or this sort of stuff, you know. not saying that might have contributed to it obviously a lot of things would have contributed to it mm. but how long how long were you married um 17 years shit that's and then two kids yep how old are the kids um now they're 17 and 15 right and they're great no fantastic so yeah. i think i mean they to be honest they would prefer that we are not together not that we were like fighting or anything but they quite like it like this you just better as individuals than as yeah, they're the know. right age to understand it and i think you get the best of both worlds a little bit um, i think i'm probably closer to both my kids now because of it at the time they've really I wouldn't say sided with me but the circumstance of what happened was you know they you know uh, uh, I'm sorry for me it's not a good way of putting it but anyway we, 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 <laughs> I made them side with me yeah 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 yeah. I took them aside and I said this is what happened you know yeah. <laughs> and they've only got one vision yeah. no so no they're great and, and as a result I think probably close to their mother as well yeah you know? and we're, we're and 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 we're in touch as well, so it's not, you know... It's no animosity there. No, but... It's a hard... I, I, yeah. I've been through that as well. It's, course, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a hard thing to go through. It's like, like a, your marriage, it's, together 17 years, it's a very successful relationship, but I suppose you feel yeah. like a failure because you stand in front of your family and friends and a priest or whoever yeah. and say you're going to be together until you die, and so anything yeah. less than that feels like a fail. And you feel like you failed your kids, you know, yeah. Other parents are together, you're not, and a lot of people are broken up, of course. But and then you're in this apartment instead of the house that you were together, and it's all you, you, you reflect every, on all your life day, choices. Yeah, every day you get a, a chance to sort of think about it, but but then you've got to ask yourself, um, would you change anything about it? In other words, would you get back? And no, I wouldn't. So there's mm. no point worrying about that. Um, would you've done stuff differently over those years? Yeah, maybe, but I can't specifically think. Um, what there would be, but there certainly would have. The fact I didn't see it coming, you, you get the, got the idea that um, it was her call at the time. The really, fact, it was, we used the completely blindsided at the time. I was, but the fact that I was completely blindsided suggests that I must have had my head up my own ass a little bit to not see it coming. You know what I mean? Because mm. you'd have to be pretty weird not to see. Oh, you no, know. I, I think that's fairly fairly common. I've been doing a bit of. Um, I've got Rachel Hunter coming on the podcast next week, so I've been doing a bit of research uh, for her and. Um, her marriage with Rod Stewart, which was about half the length of your marriage, it was like yeah. eight, eight years. Um, he was sitting down, like flipping through some um, like architecture magazines because they were renovating a house, and he was asking her opinion about a kitchen bench, or whatever. And she sort of mumbled under her breath, "I, I don't think I'm going to be here for it." And that's, oh, shit, that, right? and that was how he sort of found out, and he was completely blindsided. <sighs> yeah, um, I feel like I mean it's hard. People, you, you grow and you change. You like you you talked about regretting killing the snail on TV. It's like you're not the same person now as when you got together. Oh, oh yeah, totally. And you know, and people evolve, and um, you, then you look back and you think, were we were, 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 the, were we the right people to be together in the first place? Kind of thing. You start overthinking everything, and then you say, oh, well, at what point did I, you know, or, uh, and or if we didn't break up, then would we have? 
two or three years down the track or mm. would have just made it. You know, you just don't really know. Um, I think the important thing now is, um, you know, what happens from here on in. And as I say, we're, we're pretty good. I mean, I, I saw her yesterday, actually, um, and, you know... Um, and she's doing she's doing well. She's got some exciting stuff happening um, with her, which which is cool, which I'm happy about, not upset about, you know. As opposed to, oh, really? Oh, that sounds good. You know, <laughs> good you know, for you. At least, at least one of us is thriving. <laughs> <But> whatever. <laughs> um, so, how was your how was your how was your mental health after that? Um, was... Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a weird one because I like you know there's so much mental health. Um, discussion at the moment, which is great, mm. um, but I've never sort of put myself in, in a position that like, hey, do I have? I, I think anyone that goes through a marriage breakup would be um, kidding themselves if they oh, it fucking knocks you did, around. Didn't have yeah. some sort of you know, um, if I could do it again. If I, could, if I could do the break up again, <laughs> you'd get in first. This is how it did. <laughs> <laughs> just get the date, go the day before. <laughs> now, if I could do it again, I'll, I'll damn it, I was just about to do that tomorrow. There's elements of the of the breakup I'd handle differently. You know, like you know, I've since listened to podcasts on what, what you got to do and this sort of stuff. And I mm. wish I'd sort of had more. I wish I'd bothered to maybe seek that stuff out. As opposed to just playing it by ear, you know, depending on what. How do you mean? What do you mean exactly? Well, you know, I end up listening to some podcasts, you know, oh, you know, you're going through a breakup, you know, and you've got kids, you know, how, and, and some of them are pretty good, sort of things you listen to in the car. And it, you know, gives you sort of not so much tools, but sort of talks about ways to handle sort of stuff, you know. And I didn't really take, I didn't use any of that, I just kind of winged it, you know. And by doing that, it just depends on what mood you're in each day, is how you react to what's mm. going around. You know, they, they say, for example, you know, the whole don't contact for as long as possible kind of thing, you know. I was doing the thing, we're making excuses to ring up, you know, mm. <laughs> you know or text yeah. or something. Hey, have we still got that thing in the game? <laughs> you know, like, and, and, not, and not to get back with her or anything like that. It was nothing to that. It was just purely... Just for that brief it was, connection. It was just bad. It's just random, not having... It's like... What's strange when you spend so much of your life with someone and then you suddenly walk in they're the not house and they're not there. Yeah, and 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 for a week at a time, your kids aren't even there, and you go, shit, you know. And then everything that was familiar, and then you start thinking deep stuff like both our parents are, are still alive, you know, thank God, but they're not spring chickens, you know. Yeah. So we've got some other stuff to deal with in the future, but it's going to be different now. You'll be dealing with it more. On your own, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it's not like you're not going to go and support them and their time, but it's not the same. Every every uh, you know, dog got died last year. You now the little beagle, and um, even that, it's had a sort of bitter taste about it. You know, bad enough that he died. Of course it did, but and it was sudden. But we, um, it was only me and my daughter that were there when it happened. It was up in Mangawai up the driveway. Um, Andrew's away somewhere, and Sammy or something. So we just—it just didn't. It felt like it should have been a family yeah, sort of moment, grieving. Yeah. but it, but it wasn't. But we could. This is all in your head a little bit because if we were still together, it's very chance that some of us could have been in different parts of the country at the time because we, you know there was a lot of that going on. So, but it, certain things just feel um, a little bit more cynical or tra- I don't know. I don't know. Um, but that's only some days. Mm. But mental health wise, no, I think. Um, Humour helps, definitely. Oh, there's that saying, if you don't laugh, you cry. Totally. And and I did cry, you know. And I, my kids even saw me cry, which, I, you know. Is that the first time? 
that I cried. No, the first time your kids saw you. Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. Other than you know, I'm I'm the sort of guy, you know, in a, in a sad movie. You know, I, 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 I can. <laughs> well, Marley and me, who's not oh, to cry? You know, I can see Sophia look at me and so my daughter go, "Are you crying, Dad?" I go, "No, no, not me, not me. <laughs> no, I'm not crying." Uh, so I'm, I, I am quite emotional in that sort of sense. You know, I can. Uh, I can cry at other people's funeral, someone's funeral that I don't. I could walk into a funeral off the street and not know the people and stand mm. in the back and look around, and I can get emotional yeah, from their yeah. emotion. If you know what I mean. Is that something that's sort of crept in? You've noticed as you get older. Yeah, I, 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 to the point where I go, shit. How am I going to handle any of these big proper funerals that are coming my way? And you know, God forbid, of you know, down the track. But you know, it's yeah. I've always, I think I've always been that way, but. But I'm not afraid of it either. I don't think you do feel better after. Um, oh, it's quite it's quite cathartic. But yeah, I mean, um, but we were raised in an age where you just didn't you just didn't cry. You didn't show any sort of yeah. weakness or vulnerability. Well, I sort of. But I, having said that, it doesn't mean the way I react stuff is. I, I, I won't just sit there crying. I will certainly. I'm quite proactive though, so I, I, I might have a cry, but then I go, "That's good. All right." bang, is what we're doing, you know. I remember saying that to the kids, actually. I said, hey, okay, we'll just draw a line on that. You're not going to see that again. Tomorrow's going to be a great day. Sun's coming up, and we're doing this, 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 this. You know, you've got to force yourself into that so, mindset. Yeah, so you're quite good at, like, compartmentalising things. And- yeah, um, well, I don't think I'll compartmentalise, because right. I think my everything, my, everything's just, for me, it's a big river cluster, fuck off, a lot of stuff going on, but <laughs> quite good at, like um, I suppose, look. Yeah. So when we broke up, what do you do now? You just wait around and sit around. And I had to get on with it, so I straight away started dealing with the separation agreement side of it. You know, don't know why, but I just had to do something. I couldn't, you know. So I went and did all that and pushed it through in about two weeks. And the 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 the, the woman that I was dealing with said she hadn't seen anything like it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why I did that. And and, and it was and, and it wasn't to make a point to her. It was a very it's it's very it's we both agree on it's very nice for each other. But I just had to do something. I just couldn't sit there waiting for again, like that T V thing, waiting for someone to tell me when it's time to make a TV show, waiting for permission. I needed to fill my time and because that's right. I couldn't work. I couldn't work not knowing my situation anymore. You yeah. know, like, uh, you know, what's it, if I'm going to go make it, I certainly didn't feel like making a comedy t- mm. TV show. But having said that, there's plenty of ideas for taking over that you, you get now that I wouldn't have thought of had I not gone mm. through that experience. You know, yeah. more darker sort of comedy or you sort of see marriage breakup sort of stuff. Or, um, yeah, because you touched upon this on your American Heartland show. Yes, uh, you know, and that again yeah. was a little bit cheeky. Um, at Angie's expense, you know, but it wasn't meant to be. Jokes on me. You, do you want to like, recap that for anyone that may have missed that? <laughs> well, I, well, I used to make these jokes all the time, anyway. And, and Moon and on the TV about oh, Terry's wife has left him for a furniture upholster and taking any kind of thing, you know. So, um, so I thought, you know, we're doing a travel show through the states. It might as well be a bit of backstory to it, wrong, fake or real. And you've got to bring a little bit of real stuff to it. So I've just gone through a marriage breakup. So why the hell is he traveling through the States? All right, he's going through a midlife crisis, which which I'm not. But, you know, that's a good – you've got a middle-aged yeah. guy making a travel show. Might as well chuck a midlife crisis on him. Gives a bit more of an edge. So I sit there talking to the camera going on, yeah, well, you know, it's been tough. You know, my wife's left me for a 
a carbon underlay salesman or something. You know, I don't know, a carbon underlay broker or something. <laughs> that, 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 that was made up? Ange isn't uh, seeing a, a carpet? Underlay broker, no. no. Uh, <laughs> not as far as I know, if you heard something. <laughs> Maybe. No, but that was cathartic in the sense of having a bit of a laugh at it, you know, and she knows me well enough, you know, she sort of, course, it's, it's an eye-rolling thing for her. Oh, here he goes, you know. And she would have had a laugh, but to the point, I think we she did actually contact me once because we're making the episodes bit by bit, and I think she actually she rang me up and said, um, "How many more episodes are there? And, and 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 how many more times am I going to appear in there? You know, just my, my parents want to know. They want to rent. Oh. I was going, look, don't worry about it. It's edited now. There's no more. Um, was it was it a little um, a little piss egg? Uh, was it there's a little truth there? Yeah, right, right. Oh, there's a little truth. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, passive, passive aggressive. Not really. No, I was more. It's more about the gag. <laughs> yeah, right. Put it this way: if uh, if we hadn't broken up and we were still together, there's a ninety percent chance that a similar line would have been. Yeah, right. Whether it, it might not have been so important. Yeah, it's a little passive aggressive. I think I knew there'd be a few people going to laugh out of it, so mm. maybe I was being a bit cheeky, but. I certainly knew the people, the important people involved, you know, kids, for example, who were watching, and I couldn't wait for them to watch the show. I certainly wouldn't have done it. I, even one of them saw it before we went to air, and they were laughing, going, oh, that's so funny, that's good. Yeah, mm. uh, so you sure it's right? Yeah, I'll be right, you know. You well, know. I, I suppose for, for, for them it means you're in a good place, like you, because oh, you're, you're at the point where yeah. you can make jokes about it. Yeah, you're back working. And look, and if I was wanted to be serious and, and, and be aggressive or be snarky, and yeah. that, it, it could have been, you know... Um, again, yeah, life's I, too I, short jokes on me. What kind of idiot? <laughs> what kind of idiot? TV professional, TV presenter would be talking. You're supposed to be talking about the where, where he is. <laughs> we'll be talking about his, his wife leaving leaving him for a furniture upholstery or whatever. And it just, it's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean that. That again, I just find that amusing. That mm-hmm. this guy. How unprofessional this guy! Can't you focus on? Me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you mentioned the term midlife crisis before, and I, I, I feel like it gets um, it gets it gets a bad rap when people think of midlife crisis. Yeah. They think of like Harley Davidsons or yeah, jet skis, yeah. but um, you know, to, to you, you could frame a midlife crisis as I've um, got a jet ski. By the way. <laughs> do you? Do you? No, you don't. I had it. Yeah. Before, I had it before we broke. Okay, it. right. <laughs> um, but you, you can frame it as um, like a chance to to go. Okay, I've still got a lot of years left to live. What can I do better? What have I done Don't wrong? What, you know, how can I how can I correct the course of my life? Become the person I want to be. Big time, and and it's great hearing other people like yourself saying that because you often tell yourself that and you go, you know what, this is this is an opportunity. You know, this is an opportunity to have a second life instead of you know, as good as it was, you can you can pretty much imagine where your life was going to. It was that aspect of it was fairly predictable, and rightly or wrongly, now you have no idea. You have no idea in ten years' time who you might be with or where you might mm. even be living, um, and that's kind of exciting. It's kind of almost like being, what are you going to do when you leave school? Kind of thing. You don't know, um, and you've got the freedom now, um, which you, well, you just go off and live in live in Spain for a month if you wanted to. You know. Um, uh, do, you know, do you know anyone over there? <laughs> well, I don't know. You know. I got some friends in Ibiza. <laughs> just flag my kids. No. Then you go. Then you realise, damn, I've got kids. Um, <laughs> but then you'll be like, well, fuck you guys. You're in your late teens. My parents abandoned me for a year when I was 11. Oh, there you go. And look, quite frankly, you know, I hardly see them anyway. You know, <laughs> they, you know. So that's, that's what's interesting thing. So we've done this, you know, everyone does it differently. And um, we've chosen to do a week on, week off kind of thing. Because yeah. logistically, I couldn't do anything 
less complicated and they're more complicated. And it kind of works pretty well, but what I'm realising now of their ages, I hardly see them anyway. They, they do their own stuff in the weekends. So independent. They have sleepovers, yeah. and I'm sort of associating the fact I don't see them as much as I did with the breakup, but there's nothing to do with it. You, they are doing their own thing now, and you've almost got to stay out of it, and, you know. So you, them. are you um, are you seeing anyone now? Are you quite happy on your own at the at the stage? Um, I have been. Um, uh, that's why I'm in a confusing stage. Yeah, but I have. I've certainly been been seeing someone who's very cool. Um, but I still think I've got stuff to got process. To get, yeah, yeah, you know, um, which probably makes me not the ideal person right now but yeah. you know who, who knows but yeah I've, I've been lucky in that sense that you know yeah sure well, it's, it's good that you've got the um the eq i guess to um is that, is that a thing the emotional intelligence or you, um, yeah, um <laughs> to, to 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 recognize that because i think it, like the easy thing for uh, i think especially for guys to do is just jump from one into another and you know and yeah. not, not actually process what's happened and what they've gone through but then i suppose yeah and then you've, i suppose you've got to be careful um of maybe not overthinking it too much, yeah, and thinking, oh shit, you know, I'm not ready for this. I'm in the thing, you know, ten years on the track, and you know that that person was great or mm. perfect, and you you you're in this sort of fuzz of, hey, I'm, I'm still a victim, you know, I'm yeah. just going through this stuff, and next day, yeah, whatever, mate, you know, it, eventually people stop. You know, listening. Hey, you know, it's not big news anymore, mate. We know you broke up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know we've we've moved on. <laughs> there, there, there's more goss. You know, so you've got to you know, pull yourself apart and yeah. go. Okay, all right. At what point is this still you? You know, using that as a crutch. And what point are you? You know, you got to get real again at some point, I suppose. You know, mm. you you haven't seen a therapist or anything. You're quite good at just processing stuff. Um, on. a friend a friend of mine put me on to someone, and I think it was because of COVID, it ended up being on like an online kind of thing, like a Zoom call, which I hate. Mm. You know, I almost need to see a therapist for Zooms. I hate them. You know, <laughs> so seeing a therapist on Zoom was actually was quite stressful in itself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So look, I can't. Yeah, yeah, I can't say how helpful it was, but I yeah. I remember telling him, "Oh no, I feel really good today, really good today." Yeah, sure, yeah, I'm really good. You've solved me. It's good. I'm done. <laughs> and I, I just think I wanted to get off. The yeah, scene. right. But as I said, a few a few podcasts that, that can be quite sort of specifically tailored um, to your sort of situation were, were quite helpful. So mm. we've got this place up in Mangalore, and I found myself driving up there. And I'm sick of music, whatever. Actually, I couldn't listen to music for quite a long time after after all this for some reason. So I just used to drive around with the car with no music on, for, you know, no radio. Really? Why nothing. couldn't you listen to? You think there'd be even sad songs would resonate with you? Or yeah, after a while I could, and then yeah. I enjoyed it again more than I did even before because they they got a sort of a reboot. But for a brief period there. I literally just couldn't listen to music. Especially Adele, I'd imagine. Yeah, Adele. Um, and certainly not my own stuff. <laughs> oh, no one can listen to that. And I know. Um, and that was, that was very hard to listen to. No, but, uh, yeah. but these podcasts are quite good. What's the one particular guy? I can't remember what his name was. Um, American guy, you know. And mm. he, was, he was like, hey, you're going through a breakup. And, blah, blah. and yet, before you know it, you listen to this guy and there's different sort of modules to it. And I thought that was pretty helpful. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything I did specifically that he suggested. But just hearing someone talk about, 
you, you don't feel so unique or shit this is normal you know mm. and everyone you know that's been through a breakup say oh it takes time and look trust me you know you and I, you'll be fine you'll be you know this sort of stuff it gets easier it gets easier and it does and again back to the mental health thing everyone has stuff to deal with you know but it does it will get easier yeah this, this too shall pass you just gotta write it out you know yeah one foot in front of the other. And only you uh, can do it, unfortunately. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing. You know, you, no one else can, you've got to walk that walk somehow, and um, and that's all there's to it. Mm. Well, you've been, I mean, it, yeah, it rocks. And it, it's such a common thing, eh, like a relationship breakdown, and it, it does rock you at the time. And I feel like the stuff that you went through earlier in life um, probably set you in a good position for yeah, it in I terms of so. resilience. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it probably has. Um, uh, and... If it hasn't, well, you know, regardless, it's another experience to put down with all the other experiences, you know, it's, it's, and this one not necessarily was a, a great experience, but it's an experience nevertheless. Mm. So, you know, on the, the tapestry of your life, it's something, it's, that's an interesting spot, you know. Yeah, that's a, like a yeah, tapestry, like a mosaic. It's just yeah. part of the You know, glorious... and it's not always good parts. It doesn't always have to be, uh, you need all that stuff. And I do remember, though, I do actually remember thinking this, at the real peak of it, that, that real emotional side, the raw stage, the week after kind of stuff, you know, mm. where you can't sleep and all that sort of stuff. In a strange kind of way, you never felt more alive. Doesn't mean you were happy, but you, you feeling the pain, you felt alive. You weren't numb. It's like getting burnt. You could feel it. You meant, shit, I'm, I'm alive here, you know. And not everything has to be a real positive, amazing, euphoric experience to feel alive. It can be um, something as ghastly as that can actually make you feel, not, not invigorated, but uh, I'm in, in touch with the emotions, I suppose. Mm. You know? Could you feel that at the time or just on reflection? At the time, I, I felt that, yeah. but not. I, I wasn't putting that down as a positive thing. But I'm just like, as opposed to everyday grey guy life, nothing really good happening, nothing really bad happening. Just another day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, oh, years gone by, New Year, big party. You know, the mundaneness of life that everybody goes through at some stage. You know, um, a bit like one day cricket, those middle overs, the thirty overs kind of thing. You know, <laughs> oh, come on. You know, a bit like that. It's suddenly. I felt shit. You know, you're you're on fire here. You're you're someone's slapped you, woken you up. You know, you actually feel alive, um, and then you have you sort of hopefully transfer that into more positive energy. I suppose you know, mm. it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. Well, thanks for being so open and honest to chat about this stuff. Yeah. How are you, how are you? Did you and your wife, um, ex-wife, sit down and tell the kids at the same time? How did kind of. Yeah. Well, did they, you, like, you didn't know it was coming. Did the kids sort of have an inkling? Or? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Put, it, put it this way, there were probably times where they thought, oh, are you guys going to bring up kind of thing, you know. And of course, we would have sure, no, 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 that's not us, you know. And I think I believe that too. Um, and <laughs> just, and uh, I was going, no, sorry, no. Sorry, kids, I was telling the truth. <laughs> Actually, I think about it now, she didn't say anything. It was just me. <laughs> there was just me that was saying, no, no. But um, no, they. They didn't. I don't think that. Yeah, we. I suppose yeah, we sort of sat them down, but and they took it remarkably well, um, and still have because it's ongoing and it's not easy going from house to house, and you got to. But at the end of the day, look, we're all still here, and they've got a health. We're you know we're alive. There's a lot of people a lot worse off. Um, you know, in so many ways. You know? Yeah, that's a thing. Um, yeah, there's a saying I really like that um, comparison is the theft of joy. But I think um, sometimes comparing downs not a bad thing. I'll like you, you right. when you yeah, like yeah. you when you're in the French jail. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those people there. I mean, they're leaving their families. They're going, I mean, that was gut-wrenching. Um, and I think it is okay to go, um, oh, shit, you know, you've got the, all these people you know, down Cyclone and the Hawke's Bay and stuff. And yeah. It's terrible. You see them, their whole life is turned upside down. So that's bad enough. Like, So I can look at that and go, shit, you know, or someone's even died and go, God, what am I going through? I'm doing a podcast with Dom yeah. talking about my life. I mean, it's not yeah. well, some, some might say you've got it worse than some of the people in Hawke's Bay. Yeah. Well, there you go. But then the people in Hawke's Bay, they'll say, yeah, but look, well, it is what it is when there's people down the road that are, you know, and there's someone at Starship at the moment with a, with a kid who's, you know, yeah. on a machine. Mm. They don't know if he's going to be alive in the morning. So there's nothing wrong uh, uh, with saying, you know what? There's always someone worse off. Yeah. And even if just saying it, um, saying it can sink in, I think. You know? Yeah, yeah. It does make it, you know, it's not perfect, but it, it does help. Absolutely. Hey, well, thanks for being so... Oh, what, what's next for you? Uh, how's um, 2023 looking? Are you going to do another another series of Heartland USA? Yeah, more Moon TV? I'm, I'm looking at trying to do another sort of Heartland show, but maybe in Europe. That's right. what I talked about going to Spain kind of thing. But whether I've managed to pull it off, because um, we get into a seasonal type of thing now, you want to be over there kind of June, July, May, whatever. You oh, so know. you do want to go to Spain for a month. Well, yeah, and instead of <laughs> rushing like I did the States, and we filmed that in about three weeks, I'd rather get there and maybe suss it out a bit more yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Sounds a little bit like rock starish. I don't know how I'm going to pull this off. but Or I may just, I'll, I'll certainly be doing another TV show in New Zealand or something at some point. But there's plenty going on with, let's say, with the, the chips and stuff like that to sort of keep me busy. Mm. But I'm trying to give my voice a bit of a break at the moment as well. Yeah, um, sorry, sorry for doing a two-hour <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but not so much that, but I, I used to a lot of public speaking and MCs yeah. sort of stuff, so I don't really do any of that anymore. So I'll sort of, you know, I'll give all that sort of stuff a break, which I have really for quite a while anyway, and save it up for, you know, when I have to do ads or TV mm. shows because, you know, otherwise... They'll get rid of me as well. Right. What, what do you mean? Give you? Oh, give you? You don't have like voice issues. It's just um, oh, my voice never used to be this croaky and sort of tight kind of thing. It used to be quite a smooth kind of voice. I think it's, it's called muscle tension dysphonia. Right. So it's, it's it's almost like I'm shouting to get this voice out, but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> I don't feel like I am. I mean, I could go back and really interview that I did with you, perhaps when you when you were pimping Moon TV DVDs way back then and. I guarantee if we got the order, my voice would be totally different. I often look at early stuff, TV right. stuff. I've got the luxury of having a record of your voice. A lot of people don't have that. Mm. And I, I go, shit. But it's a bit like losing your hair slowly. People just think it was always like that. They don't notice the sudden change, you know? Yeah. Um, and, until my father said, hey, on the phone, you, you know, you big night last night, did you, son? I, got it, I, got <laughs> I said, yes, I did, actually. But <laughs> it's Tuesday, Dad, yeah. and I'm, and sad, that, I'm and sad and lonely. And that used to annoy me because he was right, but at the same time, it should. <laughs> but he was always right. But it, it never yeah. used to be this bad. And then with add a bit of nerves, like, you know, public speaking, trying to, you know, MCA, hey, you, you know, it gets kind of worse. Mm-hmm. And I found people were not, was focusing more on the sound of the voice yeah. than what I was saying. And once you get to that point, you kind of lost them, you know. Yeah. So that was really frustrating. Okay. Um, yeah. Hey, well, thanks for um, coming over today. Uh, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, re- I mean, really, really appreciate it. It seems like you're one of these guys that's always sort of on. Like, you, we only sure. ever see you as the comedian. So to, well, I'll to pass out after this in the car. <laughs> <laughs> no shame in that. As long as you're not in traffic lights or something. Yeah. <laughs>
All right, Lee Hart, you're an absolute gem, a New Zealand gem, and I'm, I'm so pleased to hear you're going to be making more TV because yeah, um, so. yeah, the stuff you do is priceless. Oh, thanks, man. Incredible. And sorry I couldn't really talk about my running more, but um, you know, it would have been a short podcast. Oh, know. no, I feel, feel like the stuff we've talked about has um, way more meaning than that. It's really cool stuff, and I'm yeah. glad you're in a, a, a good place, and onwards and upwards. Thanks, man. Cheers, Appreciate mate. it. Thank you. Thank you so much for making it through that marathon episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Lee Hart. Incredible guy, huh? Listen, if you've ever got any feedback about the podcast, let me know. I'm on Instagram, domharveynz, or you can email me, domharveynz at gmail.com. Thank you so much to the sponsors of this episode, Radix Nutrition, R-A-D-I-X. Give them a follow on Instagram. Check out their website. See what they're all about. You know, the last thing I want is for anyone to buy something that they don't need or don't really want. But it would be awesome if um, there was something on their website that you liked, that you support the legends, that support the show. Because honestly, their help has been invaluable in growing the podcast this year. And I don't know if I'd still be able to do a weekly episode, to be honest, without their support. It's been absolutely instrumental. As have you been, and your words of encouragement and your your weekly downloads. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, and I do hope to see you again next week on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered.